BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Let's rock. Let's rock, let's rock, let's rock today. What's that? That's, that's, that's that. School of Rock. Oh, I'm so sorry. I actually did that with Jack Black. I did the whole thing and then he said, oh, you've got that right, wrong. That's and I, right, that's right. And you had got it wrong, hadn't you? I had got it wrong, except I corrected him. Because I said, let's rock, let's rock, let's rock today. And he said, no, it's just let's rock, let's rock, let's rock today. It's just two. And I put in three. And then you went back and listened to the clip. And, and he's it's... right. Hey, surprisingly, the guy who starred in the movie got it absolutely right. That's, and... you know, that's not always the case. There are many people who have been in films that insist that something is true about the film and it's not true because they haven't seen it in a long time. Yes, that's true. But or, anyway. or, in fact, they haven't seen it. Well, there's, there's that whole, it's basically a strange sort of handshake thing that, um, that they do. Yes, and it ends up with the thing. That's right, yeah. yeah. I, had forgot, I had forgotten that. Anyway, you, have you seen the theatre show? Yes. Is it good? Yes, it is. It takes a while for you to realise that you're not getting all the, the classic rock tracks which are in the film. Right. Cause, so they sort of make their own music. But the guy who's in charge, you know, who's the star, but yeah. he's basically doing a Jack Black. So. Okay. And, and it's good fun. I thought it was very entertaining. Okay, cool. Um, Carrie Tulenius starts us all off. <clears throat> Hello, Carrie. Dear doesn't look like Michael Gove at all and looks even less like Michael Gove. It was so hilarious when you tweeted that. Tweeted what? You know very well what. Oh, that. Last week's podcast began with some inadvertent and non-partisan political commentary by Simon, at least, <laughs> at least for podcast listeners in Finland. You see, the podcast is now, to quote the cheerful announcer, supported by advertising outside the UK. Is it? So far, apparently. So far, the only advertisements I have heard here in Finland have been announced... Finland, announce Finland, Finland... The country where I long to be, pony trekking or camping, or just watching TV. Finland, 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 it's the country for me. Come Have been announcements from the UK government about what to do when and if the UK leaves the EU. You wouldn't <laughs> think that's m much use to you if you're in Finland. <laughs> anyway, says Cowrie, while I'm not a British citizen, I suspect that Simon spoke for all British podcast listeners in the EU when the UK government's advice about what to do in case of Brexit was followed by him exclaiming, why does life have to be so complicated? Which I, leave, <laughs> I think that's... I don't think anyone is going to dispute that. No, right? I don't think that's, that's partisan. From over here? In any way. From over, over here, here? To over, over here? There. <laughs> Everyone is going to say it's all very complicated. <laughs> Webcam's not on yet. Webcam's not on yet. You can't see. Anyway, Carrie says, I hope everything will work out in the end. And I think everyone again... Would agree. Will agree with that from here. Well, what's it? You're so sadly neglected and often ignored. Oh, here we go again. A poor second to Belgium when going abroad. That's Kate, such a great song. Kate Smith, um, sign her mark, she says conventionally. I'm writing to you to inform you of a Witter-related near-death experience, a Wurundi. Several years ago, my wonderful husband, Rob, bought me a tiny waterproof fruit-based device for use while swimming. Recently, really? During, yeah. Recently, during one of my many short-lived health kicks, I had a remarkable brainwave. Short-lived health kicks are the best. Why not? Wasn't that a hit for the undertone? <laughs> Why not upload said waterproof fruit-based device with back episodes of this podcast? Yeah. It'll entertain me as I trudge up and down the pool. It can't possibly hurt. How wrong... A person can be. I was about halfway through my swim last Tuesday 
thoroughly enjoying a re-listen of the Friday the fourteenth, Friday March the fourteenth podcast. Yes. When the European countries with a K section of the show <laughs> started, as I mentioned, this was a re-listen. I should have been prepared, and I wasn't. As Mark confidently proclaimed, Norway oh, right. had a K in it. The slight giggle I allowed myself turned into a random guffaw of uncontrollable laughter. <laughs> this was the moment I remembered I was still underwater and unable to breathe. I'm a woman <laughs> of some talents. Growing gills is not one, is of, one them. of them. I reached up to the surface, thrashing like an extra in an aquatic, scary monster movie. My actions terrified a group of pensioners who'd just <laughs> finished Aquasize. I managed to grab the side, cough up a lung of chlorinated water and catch my breath, all the while still wondering how on earth I'd forgotten Denmark, (laughs) which is where most people start that list. Yes, that's right. Thankfully, nothing was injured other than my pride. The reason I've left this so long to mention, well, the wonderful husband I spoke of at the start of this email turns 40 this week, and I'd be so glad if you could wish Rob Smith, the good doctor, quantitative quantitative analyst, analyst, him indoors, a very happy birthday. Happy birthday, Happy Rob. Happy birthday, Rob. If, yes, that's right. So if you are underwater, please be careful what you laugh at. Don't laugh, yes. And then what I didn't, I mean, I didn't say Norway is a joke. It did leap unbidden to my lips. I know, I think it's very funny. <laughs> sort of endearingly stupid. This one says, Dear Alexi and Suri. Are you, names, doing, are you doing that? Right. Well, that's actually what it says. Oh, okay. So Brackets, it's names have been changed to protect the innocent owners of certain voice control devices. Yes. I was listening to your fine podcast, and can I just say before I enter this particular sequence of emails, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna not say, and neither are you going to say any voice activating name, okay, on the grounds that we're on the borderline of being deeply irritating. Imagine that, okay. Anyway. So we haven't crossed it yet. We've, we're still on. We're only on the borderline. Right. Of so it. if you, if you're driving and you're on your own, you've got no one who can actually switch the thing off because I might say that word. Are we taking inactivate. indicative votes about whether we're annoying? We could do. Let's we have could. a meaningful conversation exactly, yes. about it first. Anyway, uh, I was listening to. It's from Ian. I was listening to your fine podcast whilst driving home, when Simon started talking about his lady assistant who lives inside his fruit-based device. Summoning said lady assistant with the phrase. Oi. My my own lady assistant inside my own fruit-based device immediately took notice of Simon, paused the podcast and started playing the wrong Blade Brown featuring Tigger track drug dealer. <laughs> as Simon would later note, the track is indeed very bass heavy. Gave, <laughs> gave me something of a fright when it came on. I think that was the enemy review, wasn't it? Very bass heavy. Just as it had for your previous listener and correspondent. Uh, this particular... Um, voice-activated system beginning with S, is supposed to be trained to respond to your own voice. But apparently, we must sound alike. Anyway, I managed to stop the music playing and resume the podcast, at which point I realised that it has helpfully been rewound by about 30 seconds, so I know that Simon's summoning will happen again. (laughs) I listen carefully, and just at the point that the phrase is about to be repeated, I turn the volume down, then turn it back up afterwards. Yes, hmm, had not been summoned, except moments later, you summon her again. If I said this word, I think it's. I think we should birdsong it in <laughs> case I miss it, and then I think it would be all right. Anyway, hey Susie, play Reckless Eric. At which point, for me, it tries to play Reckless Love by Cory Asprey, <laughs> whatever or whoever that is. that is. Anyway, I looked. I looked. Cory Asprey got a sudden spike in. Uh... No, Cory. Yeah, Cory Asprey is a worship pastor at the Radiant Church. In Kalamazoo, in Michigan. Do you think he's wondering why it was that all over the UK people were suddenly listening to him? Hey, I'm really into reckless love. Spotify. Anyway, 
finally, at Mark's behest, you said, hey, mm-hmm. this will surprise you. Play Comsat Angels, which my system hears as, hey, it's a surprise, and she doesn't understand what to do with it. <laughs> and we've, we've got screen grabs of... Uh, of what this... and, and, and she didn't play Comsat Angels, did she? Because I was no. asking your phone and she had no idea. Each and every time you talk to your phone, you set off mine. So my conclusion to all of this is that I must sound a lot like Simon and thus I may have missed out on a glowing career in radio. That or his ears need cleaning out. Is that right? I thought that they just, that it was... I think she... if I just say the S word without the hey, is that okay? I've got or no does, idea. Does I haven't got one. I can't say it? No, I'm not going to do it. I haven't got one because I don't want something monitoring everything I say and spying on me. I don't think it spies on you. It's listening all the time. It might be. It is. That's how it hears you say, oi, you in there. Anyway, I also, I also realise that if you decide to read this email out or, for that matter, ever decide to summon her fruit-based ladyship up for birdsong and giggles in the future... <laughs> that I will once again have to wrestle with the device to stop it playing whatever nonsense it thinks you're willing her to play. Anyway, say hello to Jason and all that. Ian in Swindon, thank you. But I didn't think that, that it was attuned to somebody's voice because if you've got more than one... I mean, I've been in... It's supposed, to be, it's supposed to be your voice, but earlier the puppet master said the S word and my phone kicked in. Yeah, no, so. but the thing is I've been in many houses in which anyone in the house can, can, can make the the good the good robot her indoors go um but the, and so it's it i don't think it is tuned to your voice i think it's tuned to any command tom hannah says i'm a police officer working in an extremely busy part of birmingham and after an extremely busy and long day working on a saturday which started at 5am i decided to put your relaxing tones on whilst i drive home a discussion started about the tigger song here and <laughs> hey eerie not only did the song bring a smile to my face as it reminded me of simpler times, but the line, I love you like a drug dealer, particularly <laughs> amused me. However, whilst driving home, Simon said on... This three, is an officer of the law, right? Yes. Said on three occasions, hey, three. And then the request. Well, Simon, your voice must be extremely similar to mine as this request immediately ceased podcast operations and immediately activated the nice lady in my fruit-based device. As you can imagine, this was frustrating and stopped me listening. When I had managed to cancel the request, Simon again uttered the phrase, hey, Eerie, um, again activating the device. I'd just like to point out that as in Spider-Man, with great power comes great, great responsibility. responsibility. And if the hey, Eerie comment could be put to a minimum, I would appreciate it. Down with the Nazis and all that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, Tony Time Loop Price. I play the podcast in my man six-wheeler towing a 13-metre trailer on my fruit-based phone over a Bluetooth to the vehicle stereo. When Mr Mayo said, Hey, Eerie, my voice-activated assistant paused the podcast and awaited instruction. I then pressed cancel, and my clever phone restarted the podcast, not from whence we left the story, but a few seconds before, before, just in time to have Simon say it again. (laughs) Ad infinitum. In fact, I escaped the loop by surreptitiously coughing over Simon's voice. (laughs) And then he said it again. Time loop number two was equally as annoying. And again, I escaped with a well-placed cough, thinking, well, they wouldn't do it a third time. (laughs) But they did, thanks to Mr Kermode's insistence. Time loop number three, may I request that any future use of the S-word comes with a warning. Repetition is a form of comedy. Andrew Fenner. Repetition is a form of comedy. Last week, whilst listening to the gentleman who was trying to ascertain the correct words to the Tigger song, Simon uttered the words... Play the Tigger song. At this point, my phone kicked in, but played neither the Tigger song nor the trendy hippity hoppity stuff that Simon has on his phone, but the 80s classic Eye of the Tiger <laughs> by Survivor from Rocky Three. 
And finally... <laughs> Actually, that's probably the best, <laughs> the best choice right, of all yeah. three of them. I'm doing all right. I haven't said the S words. No, go on. And finally, what I should say is, you know, in us, they have they have that very exotic speaker system. Yes, so I think they've made up. They say, "Hey, Ophelia." That's right. Yeah. So I could say that Ophelia. I don't think anything's going to trigger. Yeah. So why don't we do that? Well, you know what happens in us when they say, "Hey, Ophelia." So you want to be yes, very careful. True. Who knows what's going to come up? <laughs> so this is from Hey Ophelia. Call the police. Interesting song choice. <laughs> hey guys, says Mercedes. This is what you get if you ask. Oh, <laughs> did you? Was that a mistake? It was a mistake. Or did you do it on purpose? No. You literally just spent ten minutes talking about not doing that, and you just did. Hey guys, this is what you get if you ask Ophelia to play the Tigger song in Japan. It's in Japanese. Go on. No mention of drug dealers, as far as I can tell. It's melt banana. That is fantastic. That's the best thing that I've heard. Can you play it again? Yeah. Oh, it's only short, go on. Yeah, yeah. He definitely does the same word many times. Yon, chom, yon, chom, chom, chom. He doesn't do bouncy, trouncy, flouncy, pouncy. He doesn't, does he? He does the same word four times. Anyway, Mercedes Dobler says Tickety Tonk and Connie Chua to Jason Isaacs. And if you read this out, uh, a shout out to Wolfgang, who introduced me to your lovely programme. Hello, I, I think that is very, very funny. That's so the Tigger song in Japanese, I would rather that than uh, Love You Like a Drug Dealer with Tigger and the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> what was the other guy called? Can't remember. But is he called something Tigger? That you said? I think it's only featuring Tigger. Featuring Tigger. He's not. He's feet Tigger. He's not even... <laughs> foot. foot. It's FT Tigger. <laughs> when did that all begin? So-and-so Back in the feature, day. Was it? Back in a long, so long ago. But you, was it when you were at Radio 1 that it was so-and-so featuring, featuring somebody? I think it was a 90s thing, <clears throat> I reckon. It's a bit of a rubbish thing, isn't it? Featuring. Featuring. And then it became Verses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, no, the first Verses I remember was uh, Run DMC versus Aerosmith. 3-0, I think, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right. Uh, here we go. With, with a, and we'll make this... A free show. Run we? three. Aerosmith. I think if you don't say hey, it's fine. My phone is quite quiet at the moment. So anyway, that's enough use of that word for the moment and on with the programme. Mark is here and he's looking quite chipper and as though the world is a good place. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming. It's, it's fine. I, I kind of have to. It's my job. What's up with your bad self there, Mark? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. How are you doing? 85058. That's well, that's marks out of ten. Mayo at bbc.co.uk. I don't have one of them. I don't have eight five zero five eight Kermo. You, know. you can tweet us uh, at Wittertainment. You can. You can also watch us uh, on the live stream. And what an entertaining live stream it is! Is it on now? Because earlier on it wasn't on, and you were you were doing hand gestures. Uh, at the Five Live website, you, that's where you can click through, and then you can see. Marks the one in the uh, suit in, in the suit, and I'm the one in the blue jumper. Yes. Team time. Caroline from Chalton in Manchester. Uh, first time emailer, short term listener, having been introduced to the show by my older brother Jonathan a couple of years back. My job as a professional violinist 
is rewarding but sometimes stressful and intense. So thank you for all your hard work on a fab show that helps me to relax before and after concerts. I write not to report a wittertainment-related injury, but certainly a wittertainment-related incident. I was listening to last week's show in a particularly good mood as I'd been permitted to continue listening when the lady wife her indoors returned from her run she's a little bemused by my addiction to your show she's yet to be converted to the church as I listened to Mark's review of Dumbo she was doing her post-run stretches and noticed a forgotten post-it note under the sofa this is when it got a bit weird she extracted said post-it note written on it was one word Dumbo At this point, we had to pause the podcast while we both let out a little scream at this freaky coincidence. After some thought, we realised it was a a casualty of the popular Names in a Hat game played some two years earlier at a party. Really? To pull out this lost litter at this precise moment was another example of the magical time displacement powers of Widdertainment. Hoping this gets read out uh, as a way to fully convert the wife. Hello to Jason. Love the show, Steve. Caroline in Chilton. Very good. So we, we should try that. So um, what's, the f- what's the first film you're going to be reviewing? Uh, the very first film. Well, you're going to be talking about Missing Link, and then Missing I'll Link. review Missing Link. Missing Link. Okay, so let's just see if anyone finds a piece of paper with Missing, Missing Link, Link written under on the sofa. <laughs> Go look for a piece of paper. See if Missing Link is in the fridge or something like that. Did you ever do that thing? It's, with... that, it's that kind of Yuri Geller thing, isn't it? When, you know, the powers of our mind. The powers of our mind is going to do that. It, it definitely will. It'll. The words "missing link" will appear on a fridge somewhere. Good. <laughs> <laughs> missing link. <laughs> missing link. David Saunders. Dear Messrs. Bouncy, Flouncy, Pouncy, and Eeyore, I was on my way into college on Monday whilst listening to your podcast, and on my walk from Richmond Station in Southwest London to work, I noticed a lot of commotion traffic held to a standstill and stewards and all that kind of stuff evidently something was being filmed but what a new sherlock another mission impossible something good alas disappointingly the steward informed me that it was filming for a sequel to peter rabbit and anticipating a question i was about to ask told me that i wouldn't be able to get james corden's autograph please prepare your eyes and ears for an unnecessary sequel to an unnecessary remake of low quality if you haven't already done so say hello to jason last time we heard they were filming peter rabbit 2 in Australia, so yes, and there was a question about whether or not one should should interrupt. walk on by. No, we we, so we we were absolutely not in the camp of interrupting. We were in the camp of rising above it and hoping for the best. Yes, and just flouncing, 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 pouncing, bouncing, and all the others. Here's an intriguing note for you, Mark. Okay, I'm a medium-term listener, first-time yeah. emailer. Okay, I'm a little rusty on the correct acronyms as I've stopped listening to the podcast over the last few months. It's nothing personal. I'm a submariner. Allow me to explain. Connectivity is less than brilliant underwater. <laughs> you don't get Wi-Fi on the bottom of so the ocean. So I've saved up a few months' worth of episodes to tide me over while I'm away on my boat. Yes, it is a boat. Ships go That's on the right. surface. Yes. I don't know if Shut Up Butwad got the nomen... I always get this word. Nomenclature. That one, right in that ropey-looking hunter-killer film. Anyway, I'm steering clear regardless, but yes, boat underwater. As in das boot. Correct. As the submarine's medical officer, the doctor, my main role is keeping the crew fit in both mind and body. 
keeping spirits high is essential to both. Yeah, I weekly, imagine that must be quite difficult because it's, you know, you're in a confined space for a long period of time. Weekly film showings are an ideal opportunity for some of those off-watch to unwind, taking a small breather from the demands of a tough six hours on, six hours off shift pattern. Yeah. Any suggestions on a watery theme would be gratefully received. <laughs> Think more Life of Pi than K-19 The Widowmaker for morale reasons. Because <laughs> there are so many submarine films that you would just not recommend, but thankfully this email... It's actually hard I mean outside of Yellow Submarine it's hard to think of a submarine film in which it's, it's really it's really good fun being in the submarine in addition a was Voyage, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea is kind of fun isn't it I think even the title's a problem okay uh, in addition, a what's-up would go down very well with the crew. I'll do my best to convert some of my ca- captive audience in return. Our families, at least those in the church, would also appreciate knowing that the wider congregation are thinking of us every now and again. Keep up the sterling work. Hello to Jason. Up with the Navy, down with the Nazis. <laughs> That's Your, good. Yours, <laughs> I, the silent service. That's how it's signed, the silent service. Very so good. thank you. So is silent service what they call the submariners? The submariners. Well, that's how this guy has uh, signed it. I never knew that. That's a that's a that's a great the silent service. So th- if there are if there are films of in, of an encouraging nature to be shown to yes. submariners, which you know which don't involve but he, but, but any awkward moments involving. But he specifically wanted a watery theme, tubes and that kind of thing. Yes, yes. he said. He said, yeah, he wants he watery, a watery he, theme, but he doesn't want K nineteen, the Widowmaker. Yeah. I mean, you could. There's the whole of um, Stingray, which is just great. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Swell Maps. Okay. That's where, that's where the Swell Maps got their name from. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. It's a Swell Map, Troy. Mayo at bbc.co.uk uh, if, you can, uh, if you can help us with that. Uh, right, box from, office. And from the Swell Maps to another box office sensation, Chris Seavey. Well, I've got, to do the, I've got to do the intro thing. Otherwise I know, I know, no, 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 no. Okay, so that's Mark's intro. Here's Mike. Box office top 10 at 22, being frank. The Chris Seavey story. I think it's done very well, and I'm very pleased that people have gone to see it because it's a very affectionate and loving tribute to Frank Sidebottom. But it's also, importantly, about the career of Chris Seavey with the Fleshies and all the fabulous pop songs that he did before he put the head on. Yeah. Tim Fee in Swansea. I was a big Frank Sidebottom fan back in the day, and so any retrospective study was... Always going to be a must-watch for me. However, this film far surpassed my expectations. Far surpassed them. Man the torpedoes. <laughs> Firstly, for the sheer amount of detail that the director has sifted through and pieced together to complete this compelling story. And also for finding out so much more about the creative visionary that was Chris Seavey, the man behind the mask. Whilst frequently hilarious, the film is also... A surprisingly emotional watch in parts. There's a scene about a CV family Christmas that would surely melt the hardest of hearts. Yeah. Overall, the director's affection for his subject clearly shines through, even though the darker side of fame is also not shied away from. Oh, it's not. But I mean, I think that the film, the film does give you a sense of just, just what a kind of explosively creative mind Chris CV had. And as I said, it 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 does emphasise the fact that in in the in the pre-Frank years. He was a really good pop, you know, tunesmith, somebody who wrote great pop records and was, you know, completely in love with the Beatles and uh, and had that thing about, you know, writing the three, four-minute pop song. And then, uh, and then Frank, did you ever see Frank Sidebottom play? No. Because I, I said I played with, I did a gig with him, but then everyone in Manchester did a gig with him. It was genuinely surreal and bonkers, but strange and Richard, funny. Richard Clark on our Facebook page um, 
Being Frank is my favourite film of the year so far. It makes yeah. you laugh, makes you cry. It's sweet and horrific, sad, tragic and uplifting. Yeah. It was superb. Good, 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 good. That's at 22. 21, Lords of Chaos. Which is an, an odd film, again, based on a, a dramatisation of a true story. And it's kind of got this dark comic tone. Some people I know really took against it. I thought it was actually quite an interesting telling of that story, not least because it does portray... The members of this, uh, of, you know, the, of the of the black metal group, it, f- in 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 all their foolishness, I think is probably the best way of saying it. And then this, you know, and it, it it's also a kind of a film about toxic masculinity, about what happens when those ridiculous ideas start becoming something real. So it's 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 interesting. I mean, it's not for everyone, but it is interesting. James Scales says the script is clunky, which makes the acting feel amateurish. I think the budget for this film would have been far better spent making a decent documentary about the origins of black metal in Norway and comparing it to the scene in Scandinavia now. I think I think there is a documentary, not that documentary, but I think there is a documentary about th- this story, but I've not seen it. Daryl... I mean, I, well, I know I knew from reading about it in The Enemy all those years ago. Daryl Swainston, I loved it. Brutal, hilarious and honest. Its depiction didn't glamorise nor demonise its subject's behaviour, but instead focused fully as a character piece. Uh, Lords of Chaos at 21, Out of Blue is f- See, now, number I, 15. I loved Out of Blue and I have to say that I, I struggle to remember a time that a, a film that I raved about has proved more divisive. There are many people have got in touch to say that they saw it, they loved it, they went to see it again, they saw everything in it that I did. There are probably an equal number of people, if not, to be honest, more, who said, I just don't get what you're going on about and you've... Compl-. And then, there, then there's a small number of people who've just said, oh, well, you only like it because it's Carol Morley and you like Carol Morley. Um, and they can just um, go away. Uh, I think... I genuinely think this about Out of Blue. I think it's like Firewalk With Me in that in 10 years' time, people will look back on it and be baffled by the people that absolutely turned their noses up at it. That said, I absolutely turned my nose up at Under the Silver Lake, and I don't think that that's going to change in 10 years' time. So, you know, diversity of opinion is a good thing and all the rest of it, but I, I, I just loved Out of Blue, and I know that some, some people, but in the minority, I would say, share that opinion. Shall we illustrate that perfectly? You're about to, aren't you? Steve Bruce. I should have known this was coming. The film is a visual feast with excellent performances from all concerned. I was swept up in the journey of Detective Houlihan and pleased that the story never reverts to cliché, even when it appears to be heading that way. There are moments of true tension, humour, drama and sadness, and the bit where the thing brought a tear to my eye. Yeah. Au contraire. Au contraire. Joe in Bristol. My name is Joe. I'm a 27-year-old Welshman living in Bristol. Okay. Yesterday I went to see Out of Blue. Wow, what a huge disappointment. Poorly edited, nothing particularly great or inspiring about the cinematography and above all, lots of wooden acting. There is a scene in the film where the lead is outside a building looking in and there are two characters fighting inside. It seems as though the characters fighting inside the building have been half-heartedly edited into the film. It's almost... Uh, at the room levels of bad. That's the Tommy Wiseau mm-hmm. thing, not yeah, room. Not room. As in Brie Larson. Yeah. Mark must have seen a different film to me. How can you ignore so many poor technical elements? It may have been that Eternity's Gate had put my standards too high, but the feeling remains the same. It was a bad movie. Okay, so I'll take issue with this. It's not technically bad. Whether you like it or not, it's not technically bad. The acting is not wooden. The editing is not bad. The cinema is not 
but it's the editing is great. The um, actually, I think it's really well edited, and uh, the cinematography is uh, absolutely ravishing. It's it's that's just factually not true. Um, you what what you may be picking up is that what you're taking against is the story that the film is telling in which as i was trying to say in the review the film is is playing out in at least two different planes at the same time and there is a theatricality to it that is deliberate but i you know i mean i've had some other people say this about you know i i, I just i couldn't get beyond the the wooden dialogue and the you could no that's that is just a mistake you could it's it's perfectly possible to see it and say i don't like it because i think it's a pretentious conceit but it's not bad. I mean, it's not. It's not bad. It's brilliant. But it's not bad. I, I, I yes. And then again, I, I would. It's a punctuation. I would uh, draw your attention again to the review of Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me in. I think it was the New York Times, which said, "In a town like Twin Peaks, nothing is what it seems. This isn't the worst film ever made. It only seems like it." And that review, read now, seems unspeakably foolish. Uh, so we're actually now into the top ten. Yes. So at ten, Insta. Yeah, Instafam. Instafam. More fun than we thought. Um, the Lego Movie is at nine. Not as good as the Lego Movie. It's the Lego Movie two, but um, but it but it's fun and I enjoyed it and I like the fact that it managed to to have its story playing out in two different headspaces at the same time and still keep you aware. I mean, actually, weirdly enough, there's a strange link there between the Lego Movie two and Out of Blue. They rhyme? <laughs> no, because it's to do with you know with planes of reality. And you know exactly which world you're in at every at every yeah. moment. Yes, you've seen, seen Lego Movie, too, haven't you? I have not seen Lego. Okay, Movie well, too. when you do, you, it's, you will understand that at one point you're in his head, and at another point you're in her head, and the world changes accordingly. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, that's number nine. Eight is the White Crow, in which uh, it's demonstrated that when Ray Fiennes is excited about a project, he can talk enthusiastically yeah, about he it. Did because I somebody told me that in fact he had learnt Russian for something else. He did. That was me who told you. You that. told me that. Sorry, yes. I knew I was. He did a movie a couple of years. It was previous. a stranger I met on the road, but it was you, was it? It was actually me. Fine. Yes. Okay. And so he he already had some command of Russian. He did, but didn't know much about ballet. And he certainly directs like he understands both Russian and ballet equally well. I think it's a really good telling of that story. I think it's a really good choice to have cast a dancer who can act rather than try and find an actor and get them to dance or body double them. And I do think that even though we all know how the story plays out, because most of us, you know, were lived in the in the thing afterwards, the stuff when they're at the airport is really palm sweaty, isn't it? You, it, it is really panicky. How is this going to work out, even though you know how it does? Yeah. And also almost every movie that you've seen that features a defection from the east to the west yes. is usually at Checkpoint Charlie. It's normally surrounded by spooks and guns and all that kind of stuff. And there are spooks involved in, in this, presumably. Um, but to have a, a kind of like a mundane bureaucratic defection yeah. taking part in just in front of a few chairs at an airport. Well, there's one in um, Mosca- really Moscow on the Hudson, isn't there, with um, uh, Robin Williams when he's in the store and he says, I defect, I defect. I don't know. Is that how he speaks? Yes, that is how he speaks, and he has because he has to. See, there's a thing that you have to say. And anyway, never mind. What is the thing he has to say? I defect. I defect. I suppose there are very few things that you. And then, and then the shopkeeper says, "Not in here, you don't." Okay, fair enough. Uh, so that's White Crow number eight. Lucifer's at seven. Now, so I haven't seen Lucifer. In fact, no, I, have to say, I was unaware of Lucifer until it turned up. 
Well, it's an Indian Malayalam language film and we haven't got any reviews of it and you haven't seen it. No, we did tweet, however, to, 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 to say, you know, if anyone's seen it, please do Sounds uh, like your kind of let film. us know. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to know more about it. It wasn't press screened, so uh, but it's, it's straight in at number seven, so it is tearing up the box office. So if, you see, if you've seen uh, Loose for the Email, is mail at bbc.co.uk. Uh, fighting is at number six. It's a very, Why are you doing this? Because I'm reading it off the list here because they they can't be bothered to well, write. My list says thing. fighting with my family. It just says fighting. Okay, well it's fighting with my family. It's fighting, but not on my list. It says fighting with my family. Well, I've just it's got fighting. fighting. Is that why you say Instafam? Does it say Instafam on your no, list? It just says Insta. <laughs> So, I'm going to get one letter. What have you given him? So lazy. You've given him sort of like the beginner's guide to it or something. Okay. Just, just add water. Right. Fighting with... That's right. That's what you haven't done. You haven't opened it up. You know, it's still folded. You have to open it oh, up. Oh, I see. Okay. Fighting with my family is terrific. Florence Pugh is absolutely great. Stephen Merchant does a brilliant job, both in terms of directing and more importantly, in terms of script writing. And I, I loved it. It's a real crowd-pleasing hit and good to see that it's carried on doing well with audiences. It is now... In its fifth week in the box office top ten, and I, I thought it, I think it's really terrific. I, I loved it. Entirely correct, Mark. Uh, what men want is at number five, which is nothing like as funny as what women want. And this is the flip side of that. Dis- largely, I think, because the script doesn't hold up, and when you flip the when you do the gender reversing the other way round, it's just not. It's not as sharp. It's not as insightful as the original was. It's. It, it just feels like an old joke that doesn't work that way around. Fishy Friends is at number four. Are you serious? Does it actually say Fishy Friends? It says Fishy your... Friends. Fortunately, us is not a... You can't make that any shorter than it is. Because <laughs> that would be pointless. <laughs> okay. So Fishy Friends. Fishy Friends is at number it's four. It's the true story of the popular singing group, the Fishy Friends. Yes. <laughs> Uh, a charming, nice performance by Daniel Mays. It takes huge liberties with the actual story, but it does it in order to kind of sprinkle touristy fairy dust on the story. I mean, there is there is not a a hard hitting note of grit anywhere in sight, but it's kind of it, it's also it's interesting because it's sort of proved critic proof um, because I think perhaps because of where we are at the moment and everything that's going on in the world. There is a bit of a market for a film that just says, "Oh look, a bunch of people in sweaters singing nice songs, and the scenery is lovely." I, I genuinely think that it's one of those right movie, right time things. If I was manager of Sigur Ross, I'd listen to that and think, "Yeah, okay, let's." Everyone in Iceland has one of those nice, thick knit jumpers. <laughs> let's let's do a Sigur Ross version of Fisherman's. Friend. And Sigur Ross sing in in a in a made up language, don't they? No, they sing in Icelandic. No, they don't. They sing in a made up language. Okay, well, I'll, I shall. If you say if you say so, yeah, with, with the, confidence, and you say it loudly, yeah. Then I no, I didn't it. say it loudly. I'm not doing the British shouting thing. I'm just saying that's that. As far as I understand, and I'm sure somebody will check this, Sigaros <laughs> don't sing in Icelandic. They sing in a made-up language. Okay, I'm very happy to. It's you know, called Iceland. Icelandic is pretty incomprehensible to. Yes, be, but it's not a made-up language. It's a real language, and it's ancient Norse. So even if you speak Norwegian, it's quite you know it's it's tricky. Yeah, but it's even more tricky when the singer of the band is making it up. Apparently, some are sung in Icelandic and some are sung in Hopelandic. Hopelandic. Yes. Which is what? Made up language. Yeah. So so we're both right. Isn't Isn't that that lovely? Isn't that There we go. Hands across the divide. The world is a a better place. Well done. Why can't we all just... 
I'd like to buy the world Little of Coke. people. <laughs> Why can't we all just live together? We we were there. We were there <laughs> symbolising two sides getting together, realising... Realising that we were both in some ways... Everywhere. Right. Puppet Master's going crazy saying back to the top ten <laughs> in case we say something inappropriate <laughs> and political. Now, us is at number three. So oh, I loved it. David Cowdershaw in Lytham Sedans. Our Dear Eleven and Eleven, which is very good if you've seen the film. I have to echo the thoughts of everyone else who enjoyed Us, whilst, like Simon, not considering myself a big horror fan, Us was absolutely brilliant. Sinister and creepy, but with piercing plunges of comedy scissors just when the film needed them. A That's film, a good phrase. Plunges of comedy scissors. Plunges of the comedy scissors. A film that handcuffs. That has to have been a Seeger Ross album, doesn't it? A film that handcuffs you to your chair and forces you to watch, apart from the non code compliant couple in front of me in the cinema who left halfway through muttering, it's absolutely crackers. <laughs> what, did they, what did they think they were coming to see? Lupita Nyong'o is rightly getting plaudits for her performance, but also a nod to Shahadi Wright Joseph, who gave the film some of its biggest chuckles in one role and jolts of terror in another. Can't wait to see what uh, Jordan Peele does next. And I think I know what the most popular Halloween costume for twins will be this year. Tickety-tonk and down with the scissors. Thank you, David. Julian Redding. I love the humour and the nods to the horror genre. Uh, such as... Can I do that one? No, I probably can't do that one. I love the performances apart from... This. And <laughs> thought the ideas were good, but the plot holes and lack of jump-scary moments overshadowed the film for me. Wasn't that impressed with Get Out as a horror th- film either. So maybe I need to avoid Jordan Peele. Yeah. Or, yeah, or maybe just give him another go. <laughs> yeah, or maybe you're wrong. Uh, Helen Lee, dear the one in the tunnels and the one above ground, okay. went to see us on Mark's advice, great film, and didn't, <laughs> at the end, set off all sorts of discussions on the way home with my film companion, Sally, brilliantly thought out, uh, and I wish we could do a spoiler-tastic piece on it. Well, that's quite an interesting idea, and what we're going to do... We can do a podcast one, can't we? Yeah, on the podcast um, of this show, we are going to do a spoiler-tastic conversation about us. us with lots of warnings so that you don't have to yes. hear it it's sure, going sure, to be sure. right at the incredible the far extreme yeah. end right over there and it will be followed by you shouting the name of a popular automated computer device many times um okay so that's us is at number three marvel uh is at number two that's captain marvel to you but i've just got marvel but i'm going to give it its full name of captain marvel <laughs> i i think lazy. lazy 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 what are they doing? I Lazy. mean, it's like, it's like they have nothing to do all week apart from sit around and twiddle their thumbs. Listen to Steve Wright, what do you think? Yeah. And you love Captain Marvel. I like it, but don't love it. And I'm right. Fair enough. Uh, Mari in Edinburgh, I was listening to your um, show a few, few weeks ago when you read out an email from a fellow listener who's currently studying abroad in Lyon. Yeah. This prompted me to write my first email to the show since starting the podcast back in 2017. I am also studying abroad in France in the Loire Valley. Hearing about someone else's experience in France and the difficulties of Franglais was very reassuring as it's been a difficult adjustment since I moved in January. I hope that you can read this out on air so that Grace, living in Lyon, knows that she is not alone. It was only recently that I went to the cinema here in France, spurred on by the Captain Marvel reviews from Your Good Selves, and other listeners. I have to say that after a bit of a slow start, I absolutely loved the film. Having uh, seen all the previous Marvel films, I was quite nervous to see what they did with the newest instalment. I need not have worried as I thoroughly enjoyed the film and I will likely go back and see it again. Thank you, Mari. Good. And you just, oh yeah, you, I loved it. You liked it. That's how did nice. you spell, how's the name spelled? Mari, M-A-I-R-I. Fine. Have I passed? No, just for sure, fine. Uh, and number one is Dumbo. I mean, it's 
the more I think about it, the more I don't think about it. And I think that's that, you know, the, the whole thing with the original Dumbo is it's simple, clean lines, absolutely, you know, machine tool to make you cry and to get an emotional response. And the thing about the new Dumbo, which has, you know, flown straight in at the number one spot, although, you know, uh, I, I, it feels terribly mechanical. It fe- As I did say when we reviewed it, I'm sure there will be plenty of emails from people that went with their kids and had a perfectly good time. But it's not classic. It does feel very, very mechanical. Andrew Ross in King Kurzweil Endeavour. My wife, big Disney fan, and I, probably bigger Disney fan, went to see Dumbo. Review, the elephant was cute. Okay, but also the elephant. Yeah, that's it. But I not, didn't think the elephant was that cute. Actually. No, and 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 the the big eyes part of the elephant was weird, wasn't it? Because it's like, are you doing photorealist flying elephant or are you doing big eyes? Mike McQuillian, uh, sorry, Mike McQuillan in uh, Tarpoli. I consider the original Dumbo to be the greatest animated movie ever made. So when I heard Tim Burton was creating a remake, my heart sank. I put my doubts to one side as four of us, aged 11 to 81, went to see the new version as a Mother's Day treat. As expected, the movie was a disappointment. My daughter wasn't keen, neither were my wife or my mother-in-law. The film fails to put across the alienation Dumbo suffers in the original movie. It also fails to create a convincing relationship with his mother. The human characters are mostly cardboard cutouts. I did find myself becoming emotional at times, but that was because scenes were reminding me of the original, yes, yeah, not working on their own level. Yeah. A real shame. The only plus point was the CGI Dumbo himself. I understand Disney are making a heap of cash out of these movies, but many of the remakes have been average at best. The standout for me is Pete's Dragon, which took a relatively poor original and did something spectacular with it. A shame that the same can't be said of Dumbo. Still, I, I can always watch the original. And Danny Thorne, I'm not that impressed, to be honest. The kids aged 10 and 4 sort of enjoyed it, yeah. by which I mean they both sobbed through most of it. The big one was happy at the end. The small one didn't really get it. Okay, It's hugely different from the original. Unlike the other Disney live-action remakes I've seen so far, I did think the special effects were good. They did not feel like there was any escapism despite a flying elephant. Yeah, well, when you say no escapism, you mean it's like no magic, and that's the weird thing. When you've got so much, so much uh, visual effects at your disposal... And yet you end up making something that looks terrible, as I keep saying, mechanical. And and it's particularly when they're in the kind of the future world theme park in which the whole sort of second section of the film plays out. Everything seems to be as mechanical as the stuff in the theme park. And I'd almost say it's done on purpose, except I don't think it is. You know, there was a film. Um, uh, it was um, the film of a uh, film Socialisme by Jean-Luc Godard. And the trailer for that film was the entire film speeded up for, to three minutes. And I have to say that's the best way of watching that film. Film Socialisme. Film Socialisme by Jean-Luc Godard. Is Godin. it a film about French socialists? You know, yeah. if is only it? that were the case. Is it not? What, what is Film Socialisme all about then? It is a film about looking at one's navel for a very long time whilst offering... Navajo subtitles to annoy the uninitiated. Okay, it's our film of the week. That's what what needs to be. Um, At the start of the show, I had an email from a submariner, a medical submariner, who was looking for suggestions for their movie club because they have a six hour on, six hour off uh, shift and they don't want to, they want aquatic movies, but he said, think more Life of Pi than K19, The Widowmaker. Can I chuck in bed knobs and broomsticks? Some people have done bed knobs and broomsticks. Sorry. Simon Intring, um, Operation Petticoat with Cary Grant and Tony Curtis. Uh, Marcus Lee has said that as well. Down Periscope with Kelsey Grammer. That would keep them laughing. 
Thank you, James in Reading. How about The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou? Very that's, wet, that's a good film. Very funny and very Wes Anderson. Yeah, very Wes Anderson. Very Wes Anderson. A Submarine Fast with Bill Murray. Everything you need. David packing for a ferry trip tonight. Thank you, David. It has to be The Shape of Water. Jeff Dawson in Whitley Bay. Yeah, oh, that's a great choice. Well done. Nigel Harding says Waterworld, better than many critics say it is, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the recent Aquaman, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, as Mark just mentioned. Bobbing along, bobbing along on the bottom of the beautiful briny sea. Fantastic Voyage and The Abyss, apart from the first 10 minutes, (laughs) according to Nigel Harding. Do you think they sing that in a submarine? What a chance to take a better peek. At no, because it's 2019. Forces of the deep. What? Yeah, but that doesn't matter. It's I, timeless. I'm, well, well, let's ask our submariner, who will get this in a few months' time once he's surfaced for air, and then he'll get back in touch. We'll have forgotten everything that we've been talking when, about. When GCHQ or whatever it is get in contact to say, where are you? Do you think they reply that they are bobbing along? Bobbing along? No. <laughs> so many so many 1960s jokes. I'd, I had no idea. Anyway, mail at bbc.co.uk can text 85058 and you can tweet us at Wittertainment. Missing Link is a new animation with a voice cast including Zoe Saldana, Hugh Jackson and Emma Thompson. Uh, we'll find out what Mark thinks of it in just a moment. It has a British writer and director. His name is Chris Butler. And my conversation with him follows this clip. You must understand my objective here was to find proof of you. Um, my name depends upon it. Proof? What kind of proof? incontrovertible evidence of your existence to prove my doubt was wrong. Uh, Like hair samples, a tooth, nail clippings, feces. Well, I have all those things. That seems like a fair deal. In that case, why not? I shall get you there, to the place you belong. And in return, you will get me to mine. Oh, yes. I'll prove the existence of not just one, but an entire evolutionary branch of missing links. Imagine the headlines then. Oh, well, you you really mean that you're going to take me? Of course. That's a clip from Missing Link. I'm delighted to say it's writer and director Chris Butler is with us. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. How long have you been working on this? I suppose officially it's five years. (laughs) uh, But the truth is it's much longer. How much longer? Uh, Maybe add another 10. 15 years? Yeah. I I mean, not all the time, obviously, because that would be sad. No. Um, But I started writing it maybe 15 years ago. So that makes it, I think, a labour of love. Yes. So would that be standard for (laughs) an idea for an animation like this, that it would take so long from beginning to end? No, I think the lion's share of that time is it kind of languishing in one of my sketchbooks or one of my notebooks, and I kind of delved back into it when it was time to come up with a new idea after I finished the last movie. But the five-year part, that is... Pretty standard, four to five years for an animated movie. It's still pretty long. Okay, yeah, that's that's a long time. Okay, so explain the missing link. Tell us the idea behind your film. Okay, so the idea is. Although you should have this off pat now. You've had this idea for fifteen years. This would better be a good answer. (laughs) I try to make it different every time I talk about it. The idea is there is a Victorian explorer who is infamous for his failures, I guess, and he pursues mythical creatures, and he finds Bigfoot. And it turns out Bigfoot is lonely. He lives in the Pacific Northwest. And he's heard tell stories of the mysterious yetis in the Himalayas. And he believes this is his long-lost family. So he enlists this explorer to take him on a quest across the world to find his family. Where did the idea for this... I mean, obviously, you said it's taken a long time. What was the heart of 
I think I suppose originally I thought, wouldn't it be cool if stop motion had its own Indiana Jones? I wanted to make a big adventure movie. And it's certainly influenced by all these movies and books from my childhood. I was a Sherlock Holmes nut, which is where the setting comes from. It's set in Victorian in England to start off with. So it's Sherlock Holmes, Indiana Jones. It's a little bit around the world in 80 days. There's monsters in there. I think that comes from my love of Ray Harryhausen creatures. It's a little bit of a melting pot of everything that I loved. How would you describe the the animation style, Chris? Because we've got a mixture of... Stop motion stop and CGI, motion. is that all happening at the... Yeah. It, Explain what it looks like. Well, we call it a hybrid. Um, I suppose it really is a stop motion movie. At its heart, it is real puppets. It is physical puppets on real sets being manipulated frame by frame by animators. But we want to tell a broader scope of story. So we pretty much use every trick in the book in order to make that happen and that includes a lot of digital technology a lot of new innovations so there is cg set extensions which means that we can have bigger locations there are cg background characters which means we can have bigger crowd scenes it means really that we are able to push the boundaries of what was traditionally quite a contained medium. So I guess it means that even though the heart of this film could have been made 20, 30, 40 years ago, that the longer you wait, the more spectacular this looks as someone else invents another thing that fits yeah. on that thing that makes it look more beautiful. Basically, yeah. I don't think we could have probably made this very movie 10 years ago. But I think part of that is that these inventions that you're talking about, these innovations, we're creating them in order to make our previous movies. So the last four movies have led to technology and innovations that have enabled us to push further. Someone actually said to me, they were like, oh, because of all these new inventions, doesn't it get easier? And it's like, well, no, because it means we tell more complicated stories. When people go and see this, then give us a scene that you're particularly proud of which is possible in 2019, which wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago. Okay. I think one of my favourite scenes is towards the end of the movie. I don't want to ruin anything, but it's a big action sequence where the heroes are being chased across a collapsing ice bridge miles up in the Himalayas. And then they proceed to have um, a battle with the villain whilst hanging from ropes. I wanted it to feel very kinetic. I wanted to almost shoot it like a live action action sequence. So it's quick cuts. It's um, technically very, very challenging. Some poor animator was manipulating these puppets as they were dangling from the air. That scene alone probably took over a year to shoot. Wow. Uh, tell us about the casting. Um, you mentioned this uh, hopeless explorer. Sir Lionel Frost, as voiced by Hugh Jackman. Tell us, the idea behind Sir Lionel was what? Well, he was influenced by this rich tradition of British upper crust explorers, and I'm poking fun at that. I wanted him to be like a, an old school leading man. And I think part of his character is the fact that he's self-obsessed in a way, and that's quite a challenging character to get on board with. So I wanted to make sure I cast someone who would take you along for the ride. And I think 
that's why we went with Hugh Jackman. I mean, actually, when I was writing the character, I had Hugh Jackman in mind. Because he looks a bit like Hugh Jackman. Yeah. I mean, not so much that it couldn't be voiced by Hugh Grant, but it was... <laughs> <laughs> Another Hugh. Yes, yeah, some of the original sketches, I incorporated a little bit of um, Mr. Jackman into them. He was always in my mind. And I think it's because even though this character misbehaves somewhat and has a journey to go on emotionally... He's always charming, and, and that's Hugh. He's effortlessly charming. He is, and when you ask him to sing just a little bit, he's very good at it. <laughs> well, there was one bit where he was in the booth and he was just doing vocal warm-ups, and, of course, I kept that in. Okay. Yeah. He's very good at posh English. He's better than me. His accent's better than mine. Is Leica the first thing that we see when the film starts? Is that uh, a Leica film? Yes, it's one of the first things to come right. up, yeah. What does that mean, do you think, when people see that as, a, as the first logo that comes up or one of the first logos? What, what does that brand mean, do you think, for people? I hope it means quality. I hope it means, I think to, to most people it means stop motion. We're one of the few uh, studios that are still pursuing this amazing old art form. I think it means a unique perspective I think we have a distinct voice. We tell our own kinds of stories. How would you define that voice? Um, I would like to think that every time we make a movie, it's a little bit different from the last. So people sometimes ask, like, what's your brand? What's the style? And I think what's great is that we don't necessarily have one. I think what's important is to try and tell stories that other people aren't telling. That's great for me as an artist, as a writer and a director, is that we're never trying to copy what the other studios are doing. We're doing our, our own thing. Do you think this is more colourful and mainstream? I'm using mainstream as a compliment yeah. here. You know, it's not a Pixar movie. It's a Leica movie, but it is. it seems to have a greater palette. Yes. Yeah, and that was purposeful. I think, you know, part of that was this is this grand journey across half of the globe. And so I wanted the visuals to have this big, bright, kaleidoscopic world that these characters are discovering. We always knew it was going to be a step in a different direction for us in terms of the look of it. And I think that was one of the reasons why we wanted to do it. It's our first movie where the main characters are not children. It's our first truly technical almost uh, movie and I think that's why we wanted to do it because we hadn't done something like that before it feels although clearly it's been going you know you've said five years slash 15 years for a project it feels about as topical as you know a like a film about a Victoriana uh, and exploring can be we get to hear the voices of some pretty small men with some small kind of exceptionalist ideas yeah yeah you I'm know keeping it vague yeah <laughs> That's absolutely true. I mean, it surprised me at how topical some of the elements are. I think one of the things the story is saying is, you know, this, this, this is a story about breaking down barriers, not building walls. Let's just say that. OK, that's, that's also suitably vague. Who is it, Chris, given that this is very much your film, you wrote and directed it, who knows when it's time to stop? Who knows when you go... Okay, step away. The producer. The, the, you know, there really isn't anything else that you can do to make it better. I don't you know whether... You when I asked you that. Yeah, because I don't know whether I ever have that feeling, like, it's done, it's done. Luckily, on movies, you have a schedule, and you have plenty of people whose job it is to make sure you stick to it. But I don't think movies are 
ever truly finished. You just get told to stop, you know. There's still things that I would go back and tweak. I'm very happy with it. But I think that's the same with painting. It's the same with um, writing. I think it's the same with, with anything artistic. If it was down to you. <laughs> We'd still be going. <laughs> You'd still go. Dare I ask you what you're working on next? If we go back to that book of ideas that you've got, which has been taken 15 years to get Missing Link to the screen, <laughs> what else is there? Well, maybe in the next 15 years. There's a few things that I'm keen on getting into. I definitely want to spend a bit of time writing. Um, I love that part of the process. It's weird because uh, being the writer and director, you start off the project just yourself in a room for months on end, not talking to anyone. And then the directing part, you're surrounded by 450 people every day. You know, it's definitely polar opposites. I'm kind of craving that being on my own and writing phase. Although I've got to say, I only finished this movie a couple of weeks ago and I need a vacation. You, you certainly do. And just on the subject of the writing, I checked with this before, with you before you started. My favourite line in the movie turns out to be your favourite line in the yeah. movie, which we're not going to mention because when it comes, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's joyful. But who is it who says this line that I like so much? It's Emma Thompson. And I think probably the best part about it is it's Emma Thompson playing a Yeti. Yeah. I mean, who gets to have Emma Thompson as their Yeti? And this bit, this line comes up before the ice bridge collapses. Yeah, it's right at the end. Yeah, so when Emma Thompson's Yeti yells her final instruction to her troops, that's the line. That's the line. Watch out for it. Yes. Chris Butler, what a relief that it's all done and dusted (laughs) and you could go on holiday. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I checked with him about the line. I said, look, it's yes. my favourite line. And yeah, he yeah. said, oh, it's my favourite. And I said, can, can I mention it? And he, Well, it's a spoiler. You know, I mean, it isn't really a spoiler, no, but, but you can enjoy her final shouted instruction. Yeah. Uh, which well, is- it's my favourite line in the film too. And in fact, when we were listening to that, to that uh, interview going out, you and I both said, that's the line. Mm-hmm. But you're right, you can't say it because for a start... Us saying it won't be anything like as funny as M's saying it, and particularly M's saying it as an angry yet. Yeah, but he was, I, I think he was very, very interesting. And you could just tell, normally when you, I say to someone, I know it's a fairly standard question, what are you going doing to work next, on yeah. next? They go, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. He genuinely is thinking, I haven't got a clue. Yeah. And I'm very happy because this has been a very long project. I, the fact is that if you if you work on any animated feature, you are talking in, you know, lengths of time that are that are enormous, particularly if you're working with stop motion. And yes, obviously this is, a, you know, it's a hybrid, as he said there, between stop motion and, uh, and, and CG, but it is, you know, it is essentially at heart stop motion that sequence that they were talking about he said took almost a year to do i know enjoy that when you when you get to see it this whole that whole scene at the end with the bridge that's a year's worth of but work. but it's worth it because that scene with the i mean it's quite apart from everything else about the film which we'll talk about in a minute i'm i'm somebody who's suffered i have a fear of heights right and i have a fear of falling from heights particularly and because of how well that scene is done, because of the way in which it's 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 rendered, I mean, I really was doing that thing about just sticking my nails into my palms because I, you know, it reminded me in a bizarre way of the of the bridge scene from Sorcerer. You know, I know a very different film, obviously. Yes, I think they make yes. a great double bill, but in terms of scenes of people on on bridges, it's it, I thought it was really well done. So, um. So uh, uh, Chris Butler, who um, uh, co-directed and wrote Paranormal, which I, I really liked. And Leica are, a, you know, you asked that question about what does it mean for it to be a Leica movie? And his reply was, 
that it's 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 a mark of quality. It's a stamp of quality, and it absolutely is. When you look at the like a back catalogue, you look back things at Caroline. You, you look at Kubo and the two strings. Did you see that little video? of the stop-motion animation for Kubo and the Two Strings being done, in which you saw a sequence playing out in real time, but with the people with the, the actually moving the... Which is, I, I mean, you, the level of detail going into this stuff is extraordinary. So on one level, I'm just kind of really impressed by it because I love the fact that this form of animation, although it's moved with the times, you know, but it now lives alongside the CG that we were told at one point was going to wipe out all other forms of animation. So I like that about it. Um, the thing I didn't really expect was how funny I found it. And you and I saw it at the same screening and we were sitting, you know, like a, a seat apart. And you'll testify this. I laughed a lot and I had expected to sort of to, to watch it and enjoy it. And I, I was kind of slightly put off originally by the poster because I was I couldn't quite get my head around the design of. Um, yeah, the, I don't. I think you're right. The, the poster doesn't quite work so the face just looks weird on the poster and until you actually sort of see the you know see the face of susan properly it doesn't is the yeti the yeti yeah yeah who picks a name and but that doesn't sort of but once you're in actually what i what i admired most about it quite apart from everything else with all the stuff the detail going on the the mark of quality the fact that it looks like a you know something that people have labored over and worried about getting the detail right is that the jokes are really funny and they were they were funny in a kind of aardman funny way i mean whenever you see an aardman animation you know that you're going to laugh on a pretty regular basis because so much of aardman is to do with slapstick and it's to do with silent comedy and it's to do with you know that kind of physical comedy i think it was a lot of stuff in this that i found funny right from the beginning sequence when they're out um you know looking for the for the Loch Ness monster and when he described he said that that, you know the central explorer is sort of famous for failing but actually firstly he's it's not it's 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 always that um victory is is snatched from the jaws of defeat or actually the other way around is that defeat is snatched from the jaws of victory and but he, what he wants is he wants to be accepted. And it's actually a story of two separate characters who both want to be accepted. One of them who wants to be accepted by his peers in the Royal South. The other one who wants, to, who wants to be accepted by his peers who he decides are on the other side of the world because he's seen stuff about them living in Shangri-La. And so it's one of those kind of odd couple things when the central thing works because they're both really looking for the same thing. But all the way through, I was, I was really tickled by it. And I thought, this is, this is a really good... Easter holiday release because I think parents and kids will enjoy it the same amount. I think like all of the Leica stuff, you'll end up watching it three or four times because you'll get it on DVD and it, you'll only really start to notice everything the third or fourth time around. I don't think it's I, I don't think it's a classic, but I thought it was so solidly entertaining that uh, that I would you know I absolutely recommend it. it's it's perfect uh, Easter holiday fare because I think everyone can enjoy it. I, my, my only query was about the Yeti's face and I wonder which is highlighted by the poster. I just wonder if the Yeti looks as endearing as the Yeti should do. As, uh, I thought that, that, that in the still image, not. But I thought when, once you see it animated and moving, and, and actually I thought it, I, I did find it very endearing, yeah. Matthew Whiteley on an email. I attended an early showing of Missing Link with excitement tinged with trepidation. Could Leica maintain their outstanding output? I'm pleased to report that they have continued to improve and innovate, becoming true leaders in stop-motion animation. Visually stunning, family-friendly adventure which easily passed the six-laugh test. I hope that this film reaches a wide audience, earning the recognition I think it will it do. I think it will uh, reach a wide audience. That strange noise was Sorry. Mark's laptop making one of those strange, strange noises. noises that it does occasionally. It's now stopped. Um, I was just reminded of a German word, by the way, 
which is very German is full of compound words, and okay. they come up with ideas and phrases which uh, which useful. And I think you might just find this quite useful. Go ahead. Okay, as, as you go through your life, it's, not, it's about nobody here. It's not about me. It's not about our team. Is this going to get you into trouble? No, okay. no, because it depends how you apply the word. Mm-hmm. Puppet master looking very concerned. The word is backpfeifengesicht. 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 It means backpfeifengesicht. It means a face that's begging to be slapped. <laughs> Okay, so as you go through your week, you may well, you know, you'll look at, you'll listen and you think, hmm, back Pfeifengesicht. You know, what's brilliant is that they've actually got a word for it. I know, that's that's fantastic. I love it. Uh, Thank you, by the way, to everyone who entered our special prize draw and supported the work of Comet Relief. Uh, raising £20,000 for this one particular uh, wow. project. So thank you very much for your generosity. We can announce the winner, randomly selected, of course. I'm not sure winner is really the word, since the prize is the chance to go to see a film with us. Who's the unlucky person? She's called Claire Faulkner, possibly Faulknell, but we'll find out okay. when we meet her. She's we will. going to be joining us later this year to watch a brand new movie at a special preview screening. Uh, we're assured she's delighted to have won. There is no accounting for taste. But, uh, well done to Claire Faulkner. Uh, who is the winner? And thank you for just taking part and registering and raising twenty grand, uh, contributing to the big pile of cash raised uh, for the work of Comic Relief this year. Seven minutes past three. You can get involved and email mayo at bbc.co.uk. You can tweet us at Wittertainment and you can text eight five zero five eight. Seven minutes past three. What have you got there, Mark? That is brand new and shiny and exciting. Okay, so Shazam. And when this first came up, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, Van Connor, who's a film critic, and he said, "Of course, you know the connection between uh, Shazam, Captain Marvel." No, um, looking up Shazam, originally known as Captain Marvel, fictional comic book superhero appearing in publications by DC Comics. So I remember uh, Shazam as a cartoon. Yes. Okay. Well, I don't, and I think it's it, that probably says a lot. Anyway, so it, imagine that this is being this this is being imparted to you by somebody with really no knowledge of the history. So, misfit teenager acquires adult superhero powers. Um, at the very beginning of the film, we see a, a, a young boy who is at a fairground with his mother, and they're having a sort of lovely time. And then his mother gets separated from him in the crowd when he drops something on the floor, and he's trying to get it, and he gets separated from her, and the next thing is she's gone. And we then move forward and he's uh, he's an adolescent and he's been to a number of different places and he's sort of proved quite difficult. And uh, he is suddenly transported out of the real world and uh, finds himself in the lair of a wizard surrounded by uh, deadly sins who invests him with superpowers, but he is basically still a kid. So there are two, the, the, thing, the main character is played by two, and one of them a kid, one of them by uh, an adult. Um, the superpowers basically consist of him, of him reappearing in a red suit with this Shazam logo on him. And the person who is his new brother in the new family that he's, uh, that he's joined is, on the one hand, completely astonished that he's been turned into a superhero but also was just fascinated to find out what 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 kind of superpowers does he have is he bulletproof can he fly um you know can he read minds can he, what, what what can he do there's that great thing in um uh, we were told with superhero things which is you know with great power comes great responsibility but as yet the great responsibility hasn't come moreover they have to deal with getting him back into the house despite the fact that he no longer looks like a little boy he now looks like a grown man in red spandex much to the alarm of their younger sister i told you this was a bad idea freddie freddie what happened to the stairs hey covering her mouth if you're gonna kidnap her is not gonna make her less scared okay Darla, it's me it's billy i know i don't look like me a wizard made me look maybe like maybe don't start with the wizard it's just gonna make her more confused some old guy brought me to a temple and he made me say shazam 
Rosa! Verbally triggered body manipulation properties? You can switch by saying Shazam! Baby, was that you? Are you okay? Uh, I, I was screwing on a bulb. Listen to me, Darla, you cannot tell anybody about this, all right? But it's Billy. He's a hero. Yeah, but if a supervillain finds out that he's a hero, that endangers us, okay? A hero's loved ones are, like, the perfect bad guy target. Is she even good at keeping secrets? Moderate. No. Oh, God. So the central gag is that suddenly, you know, young kid has developed superpowers, hasn't learned any of the things that have to come with that. And initially, the superpower is that he now looks like an adult. So he goes into the local store and says, I'd like to buy some of your finest beer, please. And uh, the next thing he's doing, they're making YouTube videos of, you know, what powers he might have. And nothing is really mattering very much until along comes his uh, nemesis, uh, who's, who basically is the point at which he has to wake up and face up to the fact that with great power comes great responsibility. Thing about this is, I mean, I thought it was it was it was kind of really good fun. In a strange way, it's almost like um a sort of superhero riff on Big. Or do you remember that film Chronicle, which was which was like sort of superhero powers, but then caught on uh on video camera. It was almost like a kind of found footage young people finding that they have superheroes. I mean, it's like that, but with a you know, with a comedic twist to it. Or if you imagine Deadpool with none of the nastiness. Deadpool sort of that kind of flippant knockabout stuff, but with none of the none of the sort of bite none of the R rated edge to it. Um I do think that it's it's over two hours long and there's a certain point that you get to with the film in which you think, okay, it has now pretty much done all the you know it's it's run its course and and I could have easily lost 20 minutes out of it but the uh the main bad guy is played by Mark Strong who is enjoying himself enormously and uh you know is we haven't said hello to Mark Strong no we haven't and uh, the Mark Strong butt game seems to have fallen completely by the way and which is a shame because it was it was one of our better games and it's very colorful and it's very you know sort of bright and lively and it has this sort of misfits rule, you know. There's so it, at, at times there are elements of the Goonies about it. At times there are elements of that kind of, uh, you know, everything from the outside that suddenly these people find their find their inner strength. And I like that about it. I do think it's a little bit long. I do think that that there's a point at which the gag sort of starts to run out of steam and it starts to turn into a more conventional superhero movie. But it's something that was bright and breezy, and fun. and there are there are gags in it that are funny, particularly the stuff when he's learning what his superpowers are and he hasn't quite decided what it is, and you know, all that stuff plays out in nice, jolly slapstick fashion. It's not world changing, but it was it was fun if overlong. The Mark Strong butt game. We should probably say again was this is it was Mark Strong's idea. Yes, it was. It wasn't. It was never. It was never a criticism of him because no, no, Mark no, Strong no, is great. No, no. It's where in a movie when they would go through who's starring in a particular film, they go with you know big starring, big star, also starring <laughs> another big star, uh, and big star <laughs> and big star, and then his suggestion is that there's always one person. Yes, where there's a but. Yes, that's right. So, and it was it was the opposite of and, wasn't it? Yes. So it, yeah, it was it was but rather than and. So but Piers Morgan yeah. or but Julian Sands, I think it was the original suggestion <laughs> that came out with. There's there was there's, there's, there's someone in there. It's almost certain that that's where it began. Unnecessarily it? negative, Simon. Just keep your opinions to yourself. What Thank did you say? very much. I'm just talking to myself. Oh, okay. So it's you. So I think you're talking to Simon behind the glass. No, no, no. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. Okay. So, but uh, yes. So it's a Mark Strong film. Well, Mark Strong is the is the is, is the lead. What powers does he have? Who? Shazam. He's bulletproof, 
and um, he 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 discovers that possibly he can leap very high, like kind of Superman. Oh, okay, because in the cartoon it's about a ring, which has got the it's got sha written on one side of the ring and Zam on the other. other. When you put the two sides of the ring together, it goes Shazam and this kind of big genie appears. Yeah, in the case of this, he goes Shazam and he turns into um, a totally different actor in red spandex. Is there any moment where they hold a phone up to the speakers? And no, there isn't. I knew you were going to make that joke. I absolutely knew you were going to make that joke. It's just an observation, really, rather than a joke. And somebody says, I recognise that song. It's Tiger Feet by Mud from 1973. Would you like me to play it? Featuring Tigger. Featuring Tigger, that's right. Uh, 14 minutes past three. Uh, This is Five Live. What else have we got? The Sisters Brothers, which is a strange one. It is sort of bittersweet, darkly comedic Western, taken from a novel by Patrick DeWitt and directed by Jacques Odiar, who'd made The Beat That My Heart Skipped and and A Prophet. And this won the Silver Lion at Venice and got, you know, good reviews, but did not prove to be uh, a hit with the public, which is not entirely surprising. So Wacken Phoenix and John C. Riley are the titular chalk and cheese brothers, and they work as hitmen for the Commodore, who sends them to go out and find and we presume dispose of a guy called Herman Warren, played by Riz Ahmed. Meanwhile, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, John Morris, also crosses paths with uh, Herman Warren and who seems to have some weird formula that everybody wants that will somehow make him rich through something to do with with gold prospecting. And everyone ends up chasing each other and everyone ends up double-crossing each other, whilst, meanwhile, the sisters' brothers at the centre of it bicker. Here's a clip. What's wrong with you? Remember what happened last night? Yes. And? You remember that you hit me? I hit you? I hit you? Stop pretending and spare me the I don't remember routine. You hit me in public, Charlie. So as sure as you're looking at me right now, I'm leaving. No, wait, 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 wait. All right, what do you want? It's about slapping each other in public. That's right, so I slap you, you slap me back, breathing. So go ahead, hit me, hit me. <laughs> What is your goddamn problem? I slapped you and whacking the head with a shovel. You do remember. So it's a very odd film, as I think you can partly tell from that clip. I mean, on the one hand, I mean, it is easy to see why it didn't find an audience. Um, on the one hand, it was sort of sold to some extent as a comedic film, and then, you know, John C. Riley, who was sort of so brilliant recently in um, Stan Ollie, so terrible in the Sherlock Holmes film. Um, and if you go into it thinking, oh, it's going to be a comedy, although I know that, I mean, there are some reviews have said there are, that it is funny. There are certainly things in it that are funny, but it's not, broadly speaking, a comedy. There are laughs, but in the same way that The Ballad of Buster Scruggs had laughs. Do you know that the prospecting sequence in The Ballad of Buster Scruggs with Tom Waits? I mean, there are laughs in it, but it also had kind of melanch- melancholia and tragedy in it. I mean, essentially... It is a movie of tensions, tensions between the characters, tensions between the tone of the film, tensions between the various threads of the plot, which are pulling in strange ways that you're not actually sure where the film is going. And and as we get to the final act, it falls into something which becomes sort of almost existentially tragic in the same way, you know, it evokes films like Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which of course is, you know, it's, is the thing that people always evoke in terms of, you know, the pursuit of an elusive dream. And I think the most surprising thing about it is 
that if it had been a very small independent movie um, and, you know, had not been sort of particularly expensive, that would be one thing. As it is, and I was surprised to find this out, it cost $38 million. And consequently, when it opened, it you know didn't take anything like that. It took around about ten million, and it's kind of not surprising because it's it's like the 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 level of production is above what kind of film it is. At its heart, it's a really odd, quirky little independent movie with a very sort of you know strange shape shifting center. That it's dark but it's light. It's funny but it's tragic, and that in a way that's kind of right down to the title, the sisters' brothers, the fact that they are these two sides of the coin, but they are chalk and cheese, that everything about the film is about that tension between dirt and gold, between success and failure, life and death, all those things are going on, but that's not the kind of film that you make at that sort of budget. That's the kind of film that you make at a very little budget because it's a very odd so although there is definitely stuff to admire in the, the film has texture and it has heft and weave and there are, you know, you, you feel the, the atmosphere of the locations, but it's also just very peculiar and strange and, and occasionally touching and melancholic, occasionally a bit annoying and self-indulgent, but just far, far too odd to have become the mainstream hit that it would need to have become to justify the size of its production. What's it called again? It's called The Sisters Brothers, um, which again is a t- title that people will keep getting wrong, I'm sure. Peter Ellis is the North Bristol backstroke width champion, two years running, okay. 1973 and 1974. He's been to see Shazam, by yes. the way. Okay. Shazam, he says, is a real breath of fresh air. It takes me back to the original Superman and big, of course, love the piano reference. Yeah, there is definitely a big, and there is a, there is a, a, a very specific big gag in it, yeah. It makes all the Zack, Side, Zack Snyder DC stuff look what we all know in our hearts they were, pretentious and boring. If we look at DC Universe through the prism of 1980s pop music, and I think we can, Shazam is haircut 100. Bright, <laughs> bright, that, prep, okay, that is brilliant. Bright, preppy and full of hits. And I bet we could all hum and whistle Fantastic Day. Whereas Batman v Superman, for example, is Bauhaus. Looked cool totally forgettable and could you whistle Bella Lugosi's dead actually yes thought not says Peter but you're not normal you like Bauhaus kicking the eyes a great pop record I don't really remember that much about Bauhaus other than Bella Lugosi's dead yeah and the fact the virginal brides file past his tomb haircut 100 no I love haircut 100 I played with Nick I played bass for Nick Haywood it was and that guy pleasure. and that guy from Bauhaus is the guy in the Memorex ad when he yeah Pete Murphy yeah him that's, that's right that, he's that's... the guy who's having his hair blown backwards because the tape quality is so good on cassettes that's what I remember that was a different age but I do that is a brilliant analogy that it is the haircut 100 of those movies it is excellent Peter, although I don't think haircut 100 ever cost that much money uh, you can email mayo at bbc.co.uk text is 85058 what else is out happy as uh, Lazzaro so this is a drop what Lazzaro, L-A-Z, it's a name. Is it really it's a, a clumsy title this week? There are a lot of, uh, but I think the original title is uh, Lazzaro Felice. Okay. So you'd rather that I went with... Could you? Yeah, okay, fine. Um, so this is uh, written and directed by Alice Roacher, who made The Wonders. It's set in this rural village called Inviolata, inviolate, um, okay. you know, innocent, uh, you know, pure, protected which is, uh, basically consists of a villa where this all-powerful Marquesa lives and four very small houses in which the sharecroppers who work the land of her tobacco farm live. And the sharecroppers are constantly 
in debt because they, you know, they work and they earn. They all live like higgledy piggledy one top of each other. They have very sort of no schooling or anything like that, <clears throat> but they're in debt to the Marquesa. And the Inviolata is cut off from the outside world because the bridge that connects it to the outside world fell down many decades ago and nobody ever thought to fix it. So they're just kind of living this isolated existence. Lazzaro, who's this young peasant boy, is has a very sort of simple view of life, simple almost in that way of the kind of the holy fool. He only sees the good in things. And he is befriended by Tancredi, who is a young nobleman, and uh, who suggests at one point that actually they might be brothers, or perhaps they are half-brothers, which is a suggestion that completely transforms his world. He can't believe that he's, he's developed this friendship with somebody who actually might be his brother. And then Tancredi says that he wants Lazaro to help him uh, fake his own kidnapping because he's trying to get money out of the Marquesa to defy his mother. And so they... They're in the hills and they're calling to the wolves. And the next thing that happens is the police turn up and then everything changes. Now, it's not a movie with a with a with a big sort of unrevealed twist, although I think that to say more about it would maybe take away some of the magic of the film. Um, on the one hand, there are echoes of Lars von Trier's Dogville, which again was about, you know, an isolated community living in a sort of outmoded form of existence. Or, you know, you would think perhaps although this is much more of a sort of film with a twist, something like M. Night Shyamalan's film, The Village. And there was even a moment in it which reminded me of the... I was talking about the innocence of the character. Have you ever seen Dog Day Afternoon, the Al Pacino film? Oh, a long time ago, I think. There is a moment in it which reminded me of that weird innocence of that character in Dog Day Afternoon. There was one particular scene that's set, set in a bank with which, which really sort of recalled that for me. But what I liked about the film is it begins in this slightly mysterious way that you can't quite... You can't place where it is in terms of time and in terms of place. You just know that we're in this sort of cut off, uh, cut off world that seems almost as unreal, perhaps as the as the world of uh, of Tale of Tales. And then it has a kind of slightly like fable like quality, like perhaps it's a fable about uh, exploitation, or perhaps it's uh, a fairy tale about a holy fool and the holy fool's journey through the world. There is a fall. Which from which our central character reawakens. Obviously, the name of the central character Im implies Lazarus. You know, Lazarus come back from the dead. And there's time travel, and there's you know, the film goes off into fantastical realms, but it never it never does it as a fantasy. These strange things happen, but the film plays it with a completely sort of deadpan gaze. And what I really liked about it is that you can read it as a number of different things. You can read it as a political tract. You can read it as a, as a, a you know, a broken back love story that takes place over different time periods. You can take it as a sort of, you know, a, a satire on workers and workers' rights and exploitation and, and hegemony and the way in which, you know, we all sort of construct our own world around us. Or you can take it absolutely at face value, which is this strangely enchanting story of this wide-eyed innocent walking through a world in which nothing is quite what it seems. And yet somehow because of his purity of spirit, I was thinking of Fisher King actually a little bit when I was watching it, somehow because of his purity of spirit, nothing about the corruption of the world in which he lives touches him. There are certainly moments that you would find yourself going, what? But... 
I would say exactly the same as with Out of Blue. I mean, this this film has got much better reviews than Out of Blue. It won the Best Screenplay Award at Cannes. It was nominated for Palme d'Or. Out of, Out of Blue hasn't had that kind of... But for me, there was a similar feel to it, which is that it's a film that asks you to take a leap of faith and asks you to not get bogged down in, sorry, how, why, what, what, you know. It, it, it asks you to play along with it as a piece of storytelling. And I thought it was really enchanting. I don't, I don't claim for one minute to understand everything that it's about. But I think it's about a lot of things, and I, I enjoyed all of them. And it's called? It's, it's called Happy as Lazzaro, or Lazzaro Felice. Okay, excellent. Uh, will I find, find it difficult to find? No, I struggle? think it's actually got a fairly wide release. Okay. Elizabeth, currently on a coach to Manchester. Dear, not without flaws and not without pleasures. I'll be interested to see what Mark makes of the Sisters Brothers. It's only just come in. Okay. Yes. Anyway, correct. well, you just heard what Mark yes, makes of the is, Sisters yeah. Brothers. Uh, I haven't seen the film, but a colleague recently brought it up. I said that, though the cast was very good, I wished it included a woman. He told me, quote, there wouldn't have been women in gold rush times. Then hastily hastily changed the subject. Lucky for me, I was about to embarrass myself by revealing that I thought women had been invented by then. No, they were invented in 1910, wasn't they? While I deferred to his greater historical knowledge... I can't help but wonder whether the appeal to historical accuracy holds water when talking about a film which appears to have tainted love on the soundtrack and to be a presumably fictional about a presumably fictional chemical compound. Even in the case of historical films which strive for realism, there is still a choice being made about which stories deserve to be told. Jordan Peele recently said he had no plans to cast a white guy as the lead in one of his films because, quote, he's seen that movie. This is increasingly the way I feel about films in which women are either greatly outnumbered, not a significant presence at all, or, if present, lack agency. Am I being unfair to the Sisters Brothers? Am I just in a bad mood after this year's male-dominated Oscars and the disappointingly lukewarm critical response to the highly enjoyable Captain Marvel? Please advise. Okay, well, in terms of uh, Captain Marvel, uh, you absolutely loved it, I and did. the film has found a, 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 a huge audience. It's been a huge in, hit. Yeah, in, yes, it yes. is. It is still being a huge hit. Yes. In terms of the Oscars, I mean, there was clearly a huge disappointment that once again, the you know the direct the best directors category came down as it did. Um, if you look at the figures from the glass ceiling report and the the calling the shot with glass ceiling in America and the calling the shots here. The figures of women in the film industry are improving, but they are improving very, very slowly. I remember somebody that we were that we interviewed here on the show said that um, that there was this terrible thing about you know what period dramas that essentially period dramas meant that there were certain actors who were going to play certain roles and certain actors who were either you said you're, if you're in it you're either a slave or you're not in it, and um, uh, I, I mean I think the I think the problem with the Sisters Brothers is not. I think the problem with the Sisters Brothers is sort of more fundamental that it that it kind of it's got things about it that are interesting and then things about it that just that just kind of wibble around. But I mean, I it is definitely it is definitely the case that if you looked across the board at the the smorgasbord of films that are on offer and said how many of these are about male protagonists and how many of them about female protagonists, although it is starting to change, it's still nothing like what it should be. And of course, if you look back to the golden years of the 40s and when, you know, melodramas and what used to be referred to as women's pictures were actually the biggest box office hits. The idea that nowadays, the you know, the box office should be dominated by stories about blokes is a, 
is a, a peculiarly modern invention. Movies didn't used to be like that. I mean, there were back in the days of, you know, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and everything. Those were the real superstars. Those were the people who brought the money in. And for a long time, there was, so I'm going off on one, but there was this, long time, there was this weird Hollywood thing that, you know, only a male superstar can open a movie. And you go, really? Have you not read any of the history of Hollywood at all? Mm. Uh, I, it's an interesting point that Elizabeth is making and that quote from Jordan Peele he, that he's seen that movie yeah but Jordan there, Peele is great though Jordan Peele is great he is as you heard on the show a couple of weeks ago but I also think that there are I, I understand entirely that point because there are I mean again we've mentioned this before particularly in in television recently there has been that serial killer vibe some of the Scandi noir stuff where there's a serial killer who basically kills women in a number of different numbers and, and I, I've seen that yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't want. Yeah. So I'm slightly nervous about the no, Ted should... Bundy film, which, which is coming up. Yes, Zac, Zac, which Zac I haven't Efron. seen. Have you seen it? No, I'm going to see it uh, this week. Are you interviewing uh, Zac Efron? Oh, okay, okay, and uh, and Lily James, and yes, so, so they're both coming on the program. Okay, well, and, I look, I look forward to it, but I know I understand. And it. I don't, I don't think it is that film. I'm afraid that it's sure. going to be. But there, it's interesting sure. that Elizabeth is making that point. That sure, sure, is, sure. is that the way it is? Because I've actually seen that. Yeah, and yeah, I don't yeah. need to see yeah, that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a good diversion. TV movie of the mm. week. Sarah Taylor says, what a list this week. Lots to choose from. I really enjoyed Steve Carell's particularly unpleasant performance in The Way, Way Back. And I recently saw Brief Encounter for the first time. What a fabulous film that is. Oh, that's lovely. I'll try and catch them all, but my pick will be Lady Macbeth, as I missed it at the cinema. Hugo Van Zeller. I would choose Kind Hearts and Coronets just to enjoy the genuine class of Alec Guinness. Mike Birtwistle, Gone Girl for me. I knew it was good and I'd wanted to watch it for a while and thankfully didn't know about the thing that happens with the thing okay. at that moment. Yes. That bit. When that thing happens. And it was a better movie for not knowing for not about knowing, that yeah. thing. Jamie Dayborn. Mark will absolutely pick Lady Macbeth. He loved the film. I did. And it is Florence Pugh's breakout performance. She plays the ruthless Catherine with a plum and it was a brilliant film. And Catherine, with, a, Catherine with a plum is a strange name, isn't it? It's a very good word, aplomb. Aplomb. Uh, and Haji Ahmad says, tough one this week. Lady Macbeth for sure. Mark might yet plump for Splash. Personally, it would have to be The Mesmerising Taxi Driver, a film where everybody involved was at the top of their game, from Jodie Foster at the start of her career to Bernard Herrmann at the end of his what is our TV movie of the week? Well, I am going to go for Lady Macbeth. I mean, the other movies that we've talked about are brilliant. And obviously, whenever we do this every week, it's not a matter of saying that Lady Macbeth is better than Brief Encounter or Taxi Driver. It's just, it's the one that I would like to choose for this week because Brief Encounter and Taxi Driver will come round again. Lady Macbeth is on Saturday on BBC Two at 25 past 10. And it's just terrific. And Florence Pugh, as we know, has been, uh, you know, turned into such a great star she's the, the absolute center of uh, fighting with my family which she holds together brilliantly i thought she did pretty well in outlaw king which was a very flawed film but she's very good in it but lady macbeth was the film that you know that kind of absolutely cemented her reputation she was in the falling she played abby in the falling and she was great in that but lady macbeth was the thing she really came into her own and that is on again t ten twenty five. It is on at uh, twenty five past ten, 10 at, at night. night on Saturday on BBC Two. And can we just say instantly? And we got to the end of the last hour, and you said you're going to be interviewing Zac Efron, and then Robin said into our headphones, both of our headphones. <laughs> I have to say that. And he said, and uh, Lily James. And I said, and Lily James. And then as we went to the news, Robin went, I meant Lily Cole. Inns. Collins. Lily Collins. <laughs> Simon, who are you going to be interviewing? No, you didn't say that. Zack Snyder and, and Lily Collins, who are both in the Ted Bundy. Zack Snyder. 
Zack Snyder, definitely he's going to be there too because you like him so much. TV Movie of the Week, so bad it's bad. Mike Gray, I'm voting Diana purely in the hope that you'll play that interview again. <laughs> Christian Klerser. Is that the one that ended abruptly? Warning, Diana will be on your telly but might leave it at any moment for no discernible reason. Ian Johnson, <laughs> I, I think the choice this week will be Di... Oh, wait, I can't finish that sentence as I'm being told to wind Wind it up. up. Sorry, Simon. Uh, Stephen Yeardley, the soap opera that is Dynasty should get the vote, but THGJ, the hat and garden job, looked SBIB, so bad it's bad, just from the posters and DVD cover, which is going some. I don't... No, I don't think... Uh, Stuart Reekey, Diana, contender not just for worst movie of the week, possibly worst movie of the decade, just slightly elevated by the existence of that interview and dan cook says ouija origin of evil most definitely does not deserve a place on this list what is the tv movie of the week so bad it's bad i am going to go for diana because that because that interview because it was it what what happened was you threw the softest of balls it was a bread roll of a question it was a bread roll which was did you have to ask permission he was thinking about to film, film outside the gates, something like that. But I, I think it was. Uh, we've been here before, but it was an accumulation of yes, of stuff. It was accumulation of the fact that the film is terrible, right. and that it had got some terrible reviews. And I think that that um, that the the actor in question imagined that you were were pushing a line which you weren't pushing. You were just being. If I want to avoid it, where where would I go to? Avoid you can it? avoid Diana. Is it possible to die of a broken heart? Can you make hamburgers? These and other memorable moments can be relived or avoided uh, uh, 10pm on Saturday on 5. Excellent. I'll make, I'll Lordy, make a note of that. Lordy mama, what a bad film. 3.41. This is Five Live. So what else is out? Uh, so let's do... So there's a new version of Pet Cemetery, As you probably right, know... Right, OK, stop. OK, stop. OK. I, I want to mention something right before you... I don't want to interfere with your review, so I'm going to say this right So you're now. going to interfere with my review? No, no, well, you've only said, let's start with Pet yeah. Cemetery. So you, I don't know anything about what you think okay. about this film. The poster. Yes. The poster says, from the writer of It. Okay, so what they meant was, from Stephen King. That's what they meant. Yes. Or what they could have said is, from the writer of It, Stephen King. But from the writer of It, makes it, makes it treats us like idiots. <laughs> because it's like saying, from the writer of It. Yeah, so I'm just I'm just annoyed by the people who put okay. the poster together. Yeah. That's all, carry on. Well, OK, you're annoyed about the people that put the poster together. I'm annoyed about the people who put the trailer together, which spoils all the okay. central surprises in the film. So if you haven't yet seen the trailer, don't. If you have, I'm sorry. Um, that thing about from the writer of It is important because the new version of It became, in inverted commas, the highest grossing horror movie of all time. Now, that figure is not adjusted for inflation. When you adjust it for inflation, the highest grossing horror movie no, of all time... really? Yeah. Is it that? Of course okay. it is. By, by some distance, right. incidentally, when you, t- you know, sort of do adjusted ticket prices. However, it is a huge hit, and it hit, and it chapter... T- Stop it. It the hit. <laughs> it the hit. And It Chapter 2 is on its way. So in the meantime, you have another Stephen King adaptation that, like It, which was adapted uh, you know, back in 1990, the Pet Cemetery was adapted uh, for the screen back in 1989. So we're revisiting a familiar Stephen King property from that period, actually, in which 
Stephen King's shopping list was going to be made into a movie. There was a point in which what Stephen King was working his way through all the icons of American life, so family life, the car, the the mother daughter relationship, the dog. the dog, exactly. You know, it was, uh, and and of course, actually, the worst of any of those is the one that King himself did, the Maximum Overdrive. But there was a point when it fire started. He was going through all those things, and they were all becoming big doorstopper books. And they were all becoming movies. So now we have a new adaptation of this, which which comes into this world on the back of it becoming the huge hit, which is why it says from the writer of it. Stephen King. Exactly. But the reason it doesn't say that is because it's it that just became... I mean, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I mean, like you, when I was... I read Dance Macabre. I know you read On Writing, and it was something that's very important to you. We all know that Stephen King is more than the writer of it. Anyway, so story is uh, family relocates from uh, Boston. They go to rural Maine. They buy a new uh, a new home in which their backyard is the forest. Wow, fabulous. He's a medic. He's going to have more time to be able to spend with his family because he's working different hours. They're now in this lovely rural idyll. Their neighbour... Played by John Lithgow. At one point, he says, "Um, he says, how far? You know, where is the property line of my property?" And he says, "It's further than you want to go." Mm-hmm. Okay, fine, ominous. How out walking in the woods with the kids? They suddenly see a procession of kids in Wicker Man masks, which is the post, the thing that you're talking about, the poster, which is the horizon with them. All the kids walking along, heading toward the pet cemetery, the misspelt cemetery, pet cemetery, pet cemetery, where let's always say it like that. Let's always say pet cemetery, <laughs> where all the local pets have been buried for some time, but beyond the deadfall of the pet cemetery, that. <laughs> Can I have two tickets to Petsamatari, please? <laughs> there is something even more sinister. What is it? It's church, honey. We think church ran away, sweetheart. Yeah. He didn't run away. Well, wow. he was outside my window last night. He came back last night. Look, he's right there. Yeah. Wow. So the cat, which had been hit by a speeding truck and was taken off to beyond the grounds of Pet Cemetery, they try and tell the daughter that the cat's run away. No, it hasn't. He's right there. No. But then he's going... Because when things come back from Pet Cemetery, from beyond the deadfall of Pet Cemetery, they come back different. Um the story of Pet Cemetery is fairly well rehearsed. The new movie, and I'm sorry, no matter what the trailer does, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to give away everything that's in the trailer. The new movie basically puts some new twists on the old story, which I thought were actually rather well done. I have to say that, you know, this thing that Stephen King once famously said, he described himself as the literary equivalent of a Big Mac. What this feels like is it feels like meat and potatoes, fairly mainstream horror fair. Um, I don't think it's it's in the same league as It, which really did feel like it was bringing something new to the table, particularly considering that the original version of It, the TV miniseries version, featured in Tim Curry's Pennywise the Clown, one of the great horror icons. And somehow the new It managed to do something that reminded you of how freaked out you'd been by by Tim Curry, but actually twisted it and changed it and turned it into something different. In the case of this, it feels like 
it, it, it does feel generic, but it also, to give it its credit, feels efficiently generic. I didn't find it particularly scary. Stephen King himself said that when he wrote the original story, he worried that it was too dark to be published. He worried that it was... And I know that you had the same reaction, that you read it and you thought, OK, I'm not going to do that anymore. It was, the, it, was the, I, it was the reason I stopped reading Stephen King books at the time was because it was so bleak. Uh, that I thought, and then I think it's misery that came later. I thought, yes, that's exactly. I felt so miserable at the end of Pet Cemetery. I thought, I don't want to read anymore. Yeah, but misery is brilliant, of course, because misery is the. It was just. Mi- but the, it was just. I just the title. I thought, yeah, okay, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it's it's but, a it's a grim old book. But in the case of this, I mean, it's you know, it's 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 good looking. It's efficiently put together. There are a couple of you know quiet bang scares that are that are orchestrated as efficient jumps. And I at no point did I feel scared by it. I thought there were it was it was more in that kind of Twilight Zone or eerie comics or uh, that kind of slightly ghoulish uh, creep show or you know Vault of Horrors sort of feel about it. It never it never scared me, but it neither did it bore me. I thought the characters were well etched, the, the parents were drawn well enough that you did believe in them, and it gestures towards the underlying grief of the novel. You know, because the novel does have at its centre the you know the message mm. that it's all terrible and it's not getting any better, and it gestures and it's not all right. In it's the not end. all right in the end, and it gestures towards that, but it does so in a way which is much more kind of sort of blackly comic, almost wry, and so it's fine. It's meat and potatoes, solid, efficient horror fare, unremarkable, but also you know not not inefficient, but it's not it. Uh, Although it's from the writer of it. Yes, well, thank you. Uh, Kevin Donnelly from Cheetah in Cheshire. Caught an early showing of Pet Sematari on Monday, uh, went with an optimistic heart, came out with all those positive feelings crushed. Oh, OK. Another one to add to a sadly large pile of lousy Stephen King adaptations. Clunky exposition, stilted dialogue, oh-so-familiar cheap jump scares. The actors did their very best. They did. With what they were given, but the characters were woefully underwritten and the changes from King's novel and bolted-on backstories undermined rather than enhanced the narrative. What the successful King adapters like Kubrick, Rob Reiner and in particular Frank Darabont get is that King does not write about horrifying supernatural events. He writes about people, people we believe in, care about, empathise with, come to love, who find themselves in terrifying, unfamiliar situations and have to use their humanity to find solutions. That was completely missed here. But all credit to the four cats playing church. <laughs> Their performances were skilled and seamless and the best thing about this second-rate film. Can I say something on that subject of... I mean, for a start, Stephen King, as we all know, didn't like the Stanley Kubrick adaptation of, of uh, Shining because he thought it didn't, it didn't actually make emotional sense. And I kind of... You know, I understand that. There is... We'll come to Kubrick in a, in a moment. Um, I think it's absolutely true that when you look at Reiner and Darabont's adaptations... They tap right into the humanity of King's stuff. But a- absolutely what King does is writes about families in, you know, re- re- recurrent themes of families in extremists. And it's not re- it's not about the fact that somebody can start fires or the fact that somebody's telekinetic or the fact, you know, it's not about that. It's about how the characters react to it. I would say, however, in the defence of it, of in the defence of Pets Amatari, that uh, I did think that the family were well-drawn, at least well-drawn for a solidly middle-of-the-road meat and potatoes film that was, you know, elevated by Laurie Rose's terrific cinematography. I mean, it looked great. Occasionally it reminded me of Company of Wolves in terms of the way it looked, but it did feel very much like that, you know, it's 
it's it's it's a placeholder rather than moving the thing on. Louis Gaudet in Brisbane. I'm going to tiptoe around. A lot, some yeah, of this email. please do. Not enough time is given to actually getting to know the characters, which in turn means that we fail to feel the bonds of love and friendship between them or their respective pets. There's no weight to what ultimately is a... Uh, yeah. which the novel did so well. The cat church is barely a presence until its necessary story beat and the friendship between Louis and Judd isn't established at all outside of a one-off neighbourly dinner, which makes you question why Louis would follow this old man. I think. Okay, that... That is actually true. That is, I think that's the one thing that I would say in terms of, but that's to do with when, you know, if there's a reason why many of the best King adaptations are the short stories. Then there's another line, despite the greatness of John Lithgow's performance, which I think I can put in. Yeah. I had expected deviations from the novel, but what was sadly excised was much of the family drama from the book. Uh, so yeah. Okay. Gonna, and that's as much, sorry, I, just do, I don't want to give yeah, anything sure, sure, sure. Uh, away. Sure. Um, I think so, it, I think it'll do solidly but unremarkably, and I think that's kind of that's kind of what sort of film it is. Eight minutes to four. What else is out there? Um, let's very quickly do uh, the keeper. Um, last week we had a film that began life as Keepers and then became The Vanishing, not to be confused with the Slice of Dutch Thriller. Now we have a film that began life as Troutman and became The Keeper, not to be confused with the 2019 short film story. Eight? It's yeah, fine. It's called The Keeper, and it's the story, which you will probably know this story, the story of Bert Troutman, who is a German uh, prisoner of war, yes, went on to I play for Man City. Okay, fine. Yes. I didn't know the story, and so um, so he goes on to play for Manchester City and to take part in the FA Cup final, where his performance <coughs> is fairly famous. Okay, fine. So um, essentially what the, what the story does is it fo- the film follows his story from the war, from imprisonment, from being in England, from falling in love and starting a family with Margaret. Here's a clip. What is it with boys in football? Mindlessly kicking a ball about all day. What is it with dancing? Well, dancing, it's easy. It's like... I'm floating. When you get it just right, there's no more gravity. Well, I mean, not that my body's actually floating, but... more... something inside. Like you're dreaming, but without having to wake up. It is the moment. There's no before, no afterwards. When I'm playing football, there's only the moment. It's the same as dancing. Yes. You know, football is also just a kind of dancing. No, it's not. It's bloody barbaric. No. Not if you look closely. Football is like a wonderful dance. So I mean, the question for me is: if you knew, if you know the story, which I mean, clearly everybody does except me, and particularly we're here on Five Live, in which you would imagine. Yeah. You, I know, yeah. I know yeah. exactly. Um, so what I ended up feeling was: this is it's a remarkable story. I mean, the twists and turns, the you know, the the reversals of fortune, the tragedies, and the triumphs are really remarkable. The film itself is is you know fairly. Um, I, I think. It's it's occasionally it's a little bit on the nose. Occasionally, there's very little that is left unsaid, very little that is left unexplained. There are conversations in which people, you know, tell each other exactly what's going on and why it's going on. There are some moments with rhubarbing in the crowd, you know, expressing displeasure or expressing pleasure. There's some moments with football commentators, which even if it's taken verbatim from what the football commentary actually said, sounds weirdly kind of expositional. But the story itself 
is an extraordinary story. And I mean, so you've, you know, you, you are aware of this and everybody else will be aware of it. So it's, it's solidly told. It's, you know, clearly something of a passion project. And because the story itself is remarkable, that sort of brings you through. I think as far as the, the film itself is concerned, it is, it is a, a solidly built, if hardly world-changing drama about a story that really is quite remarkable. Okay, and it's called? It's called The Keeper, not to be confused with Keepers, which then changed its name to The Vanishing, not to be confused with the George Slyzer film, The Vanishing. Thanks for your help there. Thank you. Uh, you've cleared that up. Great. Five, five minutes to four, you've got time clockwork to orange. thrill us with The Clockwork so Orange. So, co- A Clockwork Orange. And a that. Clockwork Orange. A Clockwork Orange. Oh, in fact, weirdly enough, almost... Just Clockwork Orange? No, almost the most iconic A in terms of poster design. I mean, the A of A Clockwork Orange in the poster design is the thing that strikes you. So it is A Clockwork Orange. So this is Stanley Kubrick's adaptation of Anthony Burgess's novel, uh, which when it first came out in the early 1970s was a huge cause celebrity. It's the story of a young, it's kind of dystopian near future, young thug Alex brilliantly played by Malcolm McDowell, who he and his friends, Droogies, um, wreak havoc, violence, mayhem, live for thrills, except that he's uh, dedicated to um, to Ludwig van. And the part of the film that most people remember is the design at the beginning, the, uh, the kind of cricket whites with the strange protector worn outside the trousers, the bowler hats, the eye with the, you know, with the... the the eyelash put on just one eye and the ultra violence of the first movement of the film, which is about 30 minutes long. What's strange is that people forget that the, the large part of the movie happens after that. And it's really to do with the Ludovico technique, which is that they have uh, imprisoned uh, this young thug and he's going to be in prison for a very, very long time. But then he volunteers the thing called the Ludovico technique, which will make him averse to violence. The question is, will it take away his free will? And if you take away somebody's free will, do they become anything more than a clockwork orange? And um, it is because the opening section of the film is so incendiary. And so, I mean, it, it, there is something about it that's going to kind of... It, real air of danger about that opening sequence that you forget that the rest of the film plays out like this very strange black comedy, which is dealing with, you know, quite interesting ideas about free will, about brainwashing, about conforming, about changing people's changing people's minds through aversion therapy. It's also an awful lot of it is about cinema. There's this voiceover that McDowell does, and we, you know, which is talking about the way that things don't seem real until you see them on a screen. And it is. There are things in it that are still, still now, every bit as shocking as they were when the film first came out. But I think the one thing that has changed is that with distance, it's been able to see the film for what it is rather than see it for the first 30, 40 minutes of the film. I mean, the design is extraordinary. The soundtrack by Wendy Carlos is absolutely, you know, riveting, that kind of electronica version of classics, which really became the sort of sound of... The future, and of course, it was so influential. It was, you know, it inspired the uh, the costumes that Bowie wore when he was doing the Ziggy Stardust stuff. Um, years later, it would inspire Zig Zig Sputnik. So there we are, ups and downs, swings ah. and roundabouts. The Lord taketh, and the Lord give, uh, giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Um, but it is it it is interesting now being seen on the big screen because it is something that needs to be seen on the big screen to see it for what it is. That actually, the most of the movie is this kind of weird satirical debate 
about what happens when you take away somebody's free will. And I do think that Malcolm McDowell's performance in it is, is I mean, I think Malcolm McDowell is a, a great actor anyway, but I love him in a lot of weird films. I love him in Caligula. I love him in Oh Lucky Man, which I think is my favourite Malcolm McDowell film. But there is something about Clockwork Orange, which is still to the, because for a long time you couldn't see it because after it first came out, Stanley Kubrick told Warners to remove it from circulation in the UK so you couldn't see it for about 20, 25 years in the UK. Still in 18? Oh, yes. A very 18. This has been a Something Else production for BBC Radio 5 Live. Mark, your movie of the week is... Clockwork Orange. OK. There was me, that is, Alex, and my three drinks. What? <laughs> what are you saying? I was, sorry, I was doing Clockwork Orange. Oh. It wasn't me, sir. I was led astray by the treachery of others. Society is to blame. <laughs> when he goes, it's when they, when they're in the middle of the Ludovic technique at the very beginning, and he goes, he goes, I, I see now, sir, that violence is is wrong, sir, because it's like against society and that. <laughs> come and see the violence inherent in the system. system. <laughs> it's come and see the oppression inherent in the system, isn't it? I I was disappointed that you didn't join in with me with Finland, Finland, Finland. Yeah, I... your mountain so lofty. Your treetops. I'm still so not going to join it because I don't really remember. Finland, that. Finland, Finland. Can we find that? It's it's called just Finland. No? no, apparently not. Oh, I see. When Simon has a suggestion, but no, apparently I'm not funny enough. It's that, that's actually what people say. Bobbing along. Hey, bobbing fair along enough. on the bottom <laughs> of the beautiful briny sea. David Tomlinson. What? Yes, because he was contracted for poppins, and then that never happened. So we ended up with bed knobs and broomsticks. And creatures of the deep we glide Far below the rolling tide <laughs> He's great Serene What a lovely voice my, my brother yeah, My brother Went to see The Life I Lead Which is Miles Jupp doing a stand-up He's just doing a one-man show And it's all about David Mr Tomlinson. Banks Yeah, look, there's the poster of it And it's, it's a one-man show about David Tomlinson Oh, wow Oh, isn't that a great poster? Apparently it's fantastic. So if you got to see Miles Jupp do The Life I Lead, a new comedy, then you'll... So does Miles Jupp play David Tomlinson? I haven't seen it, but it's, yeah, it must do, because it's so, a one-man show. On the bottom of the beautiful briny sea of a banana. Is there another film of the week, as well as to go alongside Clockwork Orange, because that's obviously an old film, but of the stuff that's out this week, what would be your favourite? Happy as Lazaro. Thank you. I was just interested. I was yeah. just speaking on behalf of others. Well, of who? The audience. Oh. I just thought it would be interesting to know of, of the week's new release. Yeah, but it's possible to have a re-release as the film of the week. Yeah, but I was just on the one hand. On the, that's all. Okay. As well as to stand alongside a companion piece. What, like a portmanteau? If you like. It's not an... What is it? It's not a... Palindrome? Just just picking up on a Captain Marvel conversation from yes. earlier. I've got an email here, which arrived too late to be included in the okay. show. Just heard whilst waiting for a temperature to subside the return to thoughts about women in films. Yes. I am the sole female in our household. We've all seen Captain Marvel. I loved it. Felt great for days afterwards. As a 46-year-old, it opened a few cuts from my that's-a-man's-job days, but I felt it healed and empowered. The three men in the household? Underwhelmed and slightly bored. They're massive supporters of women and our rights. They loved that I loved the film, but they were a little bored, and I was staggered, almost upset. 
But I get it now. It offered them no escapism. Captain Marvel as a character was too ordinary for them. I, however, think her unapologetic, confident style was too strong for them. No love interest to distract her. No tears or sighs. Focused and capable. Possibly intimidating. Not Wonder Woman enough in body armour and flowing locks. But I'll never tell them. Thank you. Well, you loved it. I did. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, yes. Yeah, and you're you're a bloke. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know where that goes, but anyway. But just because, I mean, I'm... I mean that's it's interesting. I don't know whether it divides along gender lines in terms of responses, but um, but it it'd be interesting to know whether it whether it does. I mean, obviously, I kind of well, I don't know. I don't. May yeah, I don't. Who, who knows? Who knows? May J Davidson, um, dear Skater Boys, I'm a Danish medium term listener. I usually listen to your show feeling quite young and hip because I don't understand or know any of your musical references. That would be right. Now I'm approaching twenty eight. Yeah, you're not young and hip anymore, matey boy. Q Mark saying that I am young. but since, <laughs> Sorry, I just blew that. <laughs> but since I've decided in the last two years to multiply myself, I'm now responsible for child one, who's two, and child two, who's four months. Okay. And while they are sweet and adorable, they're also very energy and time-consuming. And given that my 28th birthday is coming up, I've been feeling quite old and tired lately. Yes, welcome to the club. Then on last week's podcast, Mark sang... Yeah. Avril Lavigne songs. I did. And I was immediately reminded of my younger self who loved Avril, dressed like her and tried but failed miserably to do the skateboarding with all the other cool kids. And my spirits lifted immensely. So thank you very much for yet again making me feel young and hip. Oh. Well, I, was, I, was, I was talking to, um, to one of my children for whom going to see an Avril Lavigne concert early on was a sort of a, a life-changing one because I had asked you for recommendations and you'd said well Avril Lavigne is actually pretty cool and uh she went to see um Avril Lavigne and the support act with the Jonas Brothers oh, okay well they got to be quite big they got yeah and they've apparently they've reformed have they apparently the Jonas Brothers still brothers and they're apparently they're, they're they're out on tour now I must make a point of not going to see them the, he would he did this thing apparently that he would that he they did a movie in 3d they did. It was called the Jonas Brothers in 3D. Amazing. Yeah. And there was a thing that he did, and he does it in the movie, in which he pours water all over his hair because he has, like, locks, you know, and then he shakes his hair like that, like a, like a, like a big furry dog, mm-hmm. and the water flies everywhere, and everyone goes, it's miraculous, isn't it fabulous? Back five fingers. <laughs> anyway. But Avril Lavigne's great. So coming up, we're going to do um, an Us spoiler. In a bit. So this is just one of the many warnings that we are going to talk about us, uh, particularly... We're going to talk about us. We're going to talk about us uh, and we're going to do... And it's spoiler-tastic. So there's plenty of warnings. So if you haven't seen it, you don't want to hear the spoilers, you'll get plenty... You won't stumble into it. Yes. Enough about us. Let's talk about me. Firstly... <sighs> it's with a heavy heart. With a heavy heart. <laughs> DVD of the week. Hey, Mark. Hey, Simon. You know Jallo, yeah? Yeah. The Italian thriller horror genre. Yeah. That has mystery or detective elements and often contains slasher, crime fiction, psychological thriller, psychological horror, exploitation, sexploitation, and less frequently, supernatural horror elements. I do. There was a wave of Italian Jallo with names of animals in their titles, like Il Gatto a Nove Corde, or The Cat and Nine Tales. Cat and Nine Tales. Lucello dalla piume di cristallo. Bird with a crystal plumage. And indeed, one of the choices for this week, Ricardo Freda's Liguana dalla Ligua di Fiocco d'Or. 
That's just the very... iguana with the tongue of fire. <laughs> this much we know. What a lot of people don't know is that there was a wave of British shot and directed Jallo in the late 60s and 70s. Here we go. There was then sold. Here we go. To Italian distributors. Please do track down cult British yellow classics such as Il Gabbiano con Il Becco Wonky or The Seagull with the Wonky Beak. <laughs> shot in Bridlington. <laughs> il pus- il Puzzolenti Piccioni con Il Pede Mancanti or The Smelly Pigeon with the Missing Foot. That was in <laughs> East Croydon. <laughs> Ilones con la tranti escelereto moroni. The woodlouse with the fetching brown exoskeleton. That was in Dunstable. And as this is going so well. La schiocco felena con la ali bruciati. Or the silly moth with the burnt wings. Okay, bravo, bravo. Filmed overnight. I'm genuinely impressed. At a campsite just outside Kettering. (laughs) Anyway, we digress. Let's hear what you pick. If Liguana dalla lingua de <laughs> isn't quite your jam. Ian Fleming, but not that one. A Bronx Tale for me. De Niro is excellent, both in his debut role as director. And he brought about applaud for me. I was the one who had to read out that. Yeah, rubbish. you made such a fuss about it. And his role in Wise and Loving Father. Parliamentary steals the show, however, as the edgy gangster who commands respect, but knows he will never be the real man that De Niro is. Adam Paul Metcalf. I watched A Bronx Tale about a while ago and almost instantly regretted it. The acting is uh, mainly woeful. De Niro is on autopilot. Mainly woeful. Manly (laughs) woeful. De Niro is an autopilot. That's what he is. He is an autopilot. (laughs) autopilot. Yeah, don't bother. Nigel Milner, I tried three times to watch Aquaman, and I just can't get through it. It's atrocious, just awful. In a week list, I'll go for 17, which I thought was rather well done. Yeah. Andrew Mogford, before dawn, after the first three films, I never expected Linklater to take the franchise in such an unexpected direction. It almost didn't feel connected to the series at all. Atrocious. Jason Marsden, it's not a film I know, but Richard Pryor live on the Sunset Strip, the greatest stand-up ever at his blistering best. What is our DVD of the week? Well, you know, it's a it's a kind of difficult week, isn't it? The, I noticed that you didn't point out The Rage Carry 2, which was directed by, um, I think it's directed by Cat Shea, and I'm pretty certain that there's a Polecat song in it. So that almost kind of, you know, squeaks in as a result of that. I'm going to go for something that you didn't bring up. I'm going to go for a short film about killing on Blu-ray, because that is a really, really harrowing watch. Oh, great. Can't wait to watch that one then. <laughs> <laughs> what a strange world you live in. And then I'm also, because I haven't seen it, I'm going to go for Iguana with the Tongue of Fire just as a as a tribute to Simon's extraordinary efforts and Thank the woodlouse with the fetching and exoskeleton. My, and my extraordinary efforts in getting through it. You were all right. But you, were, you, you, were, you were bigging your part up. <clears throat> so coming up, we're going to do uh, a spoiler about us, but we're going to, let's play you some music from us, okay, and then, okay, but, okay, but you know, there'll be a suitable gap. Gap. So let's leave a... How long do we dare leave a gap? 30 okay, so seconds. Quite a long gap, okay? And you might forget that we're actually here. Okay. And then we'll surprise everybody. But anyway, so stand okay. by. We're going to leave a long gap. Okay. Then you'll hear some music from us. Yeah. And then you'll hear some conversation from us about us. With spoilers. With spoilers. Big spoiler-tastic conversation. Yeah. Here we go. But first, a moment of silence. Let us pray.
Those rabbits. <laughs> anyway, so this is going to be a spoilerful okay. conversation about us. Can I just it's make a point? Pitiful rookerful, sir. Do you are you watching Fleabag? No, I mean I hear it's brilliant. Funnily enough, I'm I'm friends with the father of one of the people, one of the the producers of Fleabag. All right. Well, and the music, I hear, I hear the music in Fleabag, which is done by Isabel Wallerbridge, right, is is. Fantastic. There's certain music that when Andrew Scott comes on, who is the priest, right, and he's absolutely amazing. This is the kind of music that he appears. Okay. To. Anyway, I'm just making that. Also, doesn't thing. this remind you of Ave Satani from The Omen by Jerry Goldsmith? Can't, I've never seen that. You've never seen The Omen? Oh yeah, I've seen Omen. Oh yeah, yeah, I see yeah, what yeah. you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a similar sort of feel to it, I think. Anyway, uh, yeah. Let's get spoiler tastic. Yes. So, what? Where do you want to begin? Well, I'll read an email. Okay. Just to kick things off. Okay, and bear in mind there are going to be spoilers. Yeah, which this is really this is really weird. I mean, it always feels strange when yeah. you do this. If you've got goes, this far, spoilers. Okay, Ian but Wright. Simon might swear. Ian Wright, but not that one. Just to chime in on the spoilertastic edition of the podcast. Yes. First things first. I love us. Even as a non-horror fan and someone who hasn't yet seen Get Out, I found it very entertaining, very nerve-wracking at times, and the performances are all solid, particularly from Lupita Nyong'o. However, there's a slight plot hole surrounding the twist that gets me slightly and wondering if Mark may be able to help. Go ahead. It is revealed that Adelaide and Red, who are? The, 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 The sort of the evil counterparts, or not the evil counterparts, the, the mirror image below ground. This is Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah. Switch places on that fateful day in 1986. But in yeah. the present, when the two of them are both down in the tethered world, right at the end, yeah. why does Red, who we later find out to be Adelaide, tell Adelaide, who's Red, all about the backstory of the tethered? Surely she's already aware of the backstory, given that she was okay. the one who swapped them out in the first Fine. place. Okay. Thankfully, this detail did not detract from my enjoyment of the film, and it's certainly one of my favourites of the year so far. OK, so my answer to that is this. When we get the explanation that begins, there was a girl, and then she does that whole long Basil exposition thing in which she explains the plot, okay? Mm -hmm. She's made that up because she wasn't there at the beginning. When she was first taken down... This is is what you think. Yeah, yes. Well, this this is what we know from the film. At the beginning, okay, she's a young girl living in the outside world, in the world above ground. She goes into the fun house. She meets her double. The double takes her down into the underground world, where we know for a fact that just order is already kind of broken down. Mm. They're already living some kind of weird zombie-like mirror existence. Okay, she gets left there because she's chained to the bed. Her double comes up into the real world, and then and can't talk because nobody down there can talk. And she then um, learns because she she's then found. They think that she's the girl. They say, okay, we'll we'll, we'll have to bring her back. How will we bring her back? Well, through dance, through play. And that's where she learns to dance. And that's when she learns to talk. And that's when she says she's kind of, she is reconstructed. And she doesn't remember anything from beforehand because she's very young. Meanwhile, 
the the girl who is now down in the basement, who has now swapped places with her doppelganger, is the only person in that basement who can talk. So no one can say to her, this is what happened. No one can say to her, the government set up this project, it was a way of set up to do mind control, and then it just all fell apart and they just left us here. She must have imagined it. She must have figured it out. And so one of the reasons the explanation doesn't make much sense is because it wouldn't make much sense. It's never actually explained what the tunnels are or what the people in the tunnels are doing. And the version of events that she gives that sounds like a fairy tale because it actually begins, there was a girl, you know, was once upon a time, is something that she has figured out having been in a, you know, having been kidnapped and taken down into that world and then left amongst the realms of people who yes. do not talk other than, you know... The, the, what's, all, what's with all the hand-holding? The hand-holding. Yeah, all the chains of people all holding hands around the world. Because that's... Well, that's... that's It's them saying it's their time. So the whole thing about the, the, the coast-to-coast hand-holding of people yes. is something that the humans were meant to be doing. And in the final shot, yes. you, see, uh, you see the hand-holding, but there's also helicopters in the air. Yes, those have got humans in them. Right, so you know that, do you? Or we, we just assume... Cause they could we be... assume they are, yeah. I mean, they haven't wiped out the whole... There are still... Because it's news footage. You, you're watching it on the news and you're seeing the news footage. So, so what's happening? So what's happened is that they have decided that their time has come. She has become the Spartacus figure. It's the only reason that she survived is because she's one of them. And therefore, her kids are genetically part of the underworld. Well, there, there, there is a, there's a weird question that somebody said that when the young boy goes off towards the funfair and he sees the guy trembling with the blood coming from his hands, there's a suggestion that he gets that he gets switched. But he doesn't because his doppelganger has got the burns. So we know it's not his doppelganger because it's because they actually look different. They can't swap places. So I know a couple of people have said, oh well the reason that at the end when she gives him the look is because he you know they are both doppelgangers, but they're not. The look is that he he knows that she's a doppelganger. He's figured it out. He's figured out that she is the replacement character, and that actually, the 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 and she is his mother. But the right. real character was down and thing, and that's why because she's she goes into the underworld and she then brings about the revolution, which they can't do on their own because she, you know she's been up above ground. She's seen the world up above ground, and she's the person who gets them all to get together and to create this. And it, with that brilliant thing when the guy says, can I swear on this? Is, can I swear on this to quote the film? Robin, can, can I swear on this to quote the film? No. Okay, so he says, it's like a piece of effed up performance art. And that's what it is. It, the whole That's thing, a very funny line, actually. It's a brilliant, but it, but it is also what it is that what they're doing is a piece of effed up performance art. By they are holding hands because it's our time. And the key line is when she says, "What do you want?" and she says, "We want to take our time." She doesn't mean we want to take our time killing you. She means we want to take our time. It is our time. It is our now, time, and, and we, we want to, to take, take it. it. Yes. There's an email here which I'm going to read out. I, I might not get to the end because it's quite, okay. it's quite annoying. I think you'll find it annoying as okay. well. From Nick Jonah Jones in Droitwich. The first 20 minutes... Was he in the Jonah Brothers? He, probably. Promising. The scene was nicely set and the tension ratcheted up. I even enjoyed a few startled seat squirms, but things fell off a cliff when the dungaree-donning doppelgangers popped in for a chat. 
Later scenes suggest the subterranean clones disposed ninja-like of their upstairs lookalikes, including the estimable Elizabeth Moss, without so much as a handshake or a how's your similar looking to mine, Father. Yet, for some reason, when the tethered popped up in on the Wilsons, they embarked on an altogether more considered disposal, offering each of the intended victims ample time to escape or retaliate. Because one of them... Specifically, by playing pat-a-cake in a cupboard, engaging in a fun game of scissor chase with a generous head start, handcuffing Adelaide to a readily breakable piece of furniture, whilst engaging in an early James Bond-like tell-don't-show exposition (laughs) and going on a lengthy romantic boat trip at midnight, as you do. As for the twist, Chubby Checker, even at 77, would make a less creaking obvious turn. There followed followed a plethora of clichés, inexplicable narrative decisions, honking attempts at humour and continuity blips. How quickly did Gabe's clothes dry after his impromptu midnight swim? With a plot cast to the wind as Peel presumably saw a submission deadline approaching. You cannot polish a turd. Am I allowed to say that? We just did. Polish a turd. Nor can you confer the veneer of cerebral cerebral shine upon a digital turkey just by chucking in a few artily lit shots of a ballet dancer, an ominous religious reference, or a corridor full of wabbits. I do, I do think that, that I mean I think you spoilt it there. If you just... want to, if you want to start picking holes in the plot, it's I'm just going above ground to buy five thousand red boiler suits, I'll be back in a minute. Yeah. Point one. Although, you know, maybe we assume that for some reason they had that was the clothes they they they, they were living in before. Also, geographically, you're going to get into problems because they're mimicking. There's a bit when they're in the fairground and there are the people who are having the the roller coaster experience, and it's like, okay, well, so what? The tunnels go under every single street, and the the geography you can follow the geography of the of the place. You know, so that doesn't make any sense. But the central thing about her explanation doesn't make any sense. It doesn't need to because the film doesn't actually ever attempt to properly explain what they were there for. All it does is give a character who was taken down into the underworld and left to figure it out for herself, has figured it out, and the clue is that she says there was a girl and she does it like a fairy tale. Yeah. Anything else? No, I think that's good. I think it's good too. I think you were good. Thanks. I'm off for two weeks now. Two weeks? What do you do? What do you? How come? Because I'm going on holiday. How come? Well, you're off as well. Well, only because you're off. Yeah, I know. I'm working. Oh, I'm doing the day job. <laughs> Get you. Well, why are you off for two weeks? Because I need why? a break. Come back after one. Come on. No. Let's just take one week. Okay would, you, okay. would you like to go and speak to the good lady, Professor, her indoors and explain that I'm coming back a week early? No, I think you wouldn't. So there we go. See you in two weeks. See you in two weeks. BBC Radio 5 Live. Brexit cast. Wolverhampton, 63% leave. Brexit means Brexit. Brexit cast. Much more than people whittering on solely about Brexit. It's Laura Kingsburg. <laughs> have a biscuit. Fresh Thank from the edit you. Yeah, have a biscuit. This is good. This is good. They're posh. Very nice. It's so, yeah, chew, speak, yeah. analyse. We'll tell you what's really going on behind the scenes. Brexit cast. Download the podcast. Available now on BBC Sounds.